On this episode, Cagemus has come again. We discuss Primal. That's right, Flophouse fans, our sixth Kevin Durand movie. It's Durandica. <laughs> it's a miracle. everyone, and welcome to the Flophouse. I'm Dan McCoy. Hey, I'm Stuart Wellington. I'm Elliot Kalen, and we've got a special guest today, right, Stu? We do. He's a comedian. He's a writer and author. He's a TV writer and EP and all kinds of stuff. And he's a <laughs> podcaster. That's right, Josh Gundelman! Hello, thank you for having me. <laughs> Thanks so much for being here, Josh. Now, Josh, uh, you were known widely... Uh, for being one of the nicest men in comedy. How do you feel about us compelling you to perhaps say some not nice things about this movie we watched? I'm, well, thank you. That's very kind of you to say that. And I'm I'm excited to talk about this. I love Nicolas Cage. I love Cagemas on, on your mm-hmm. show. I'm a, a, a Cagemas devotee. And so I just, I can't wait to talk about this good and bad. Just all discourse, <laughs> valuable discourse. <laughs> Yeah, I believe. Now, uh, I believe when I was emailing with Josh, I was like, "Yeah, you can you can kind of pick any movie you want to talk about, or I guess we, you could be on the Cage Miss episode." And I got an immediate response that just said, "Cage Miss." <laughs> <laughs> I was so excited as as a uh, as a Jewish person. I often felt growing up on the outside of my friends' Cage Miss celebration. So as an adult, <laughs> it's nice to be able to make it my own. <laughs> it's it's hard because it's and dealing and you know with kids now it's hard because they see all their friends celebrating Cagemas that same way and you just yeah. forget how much you're bombarded as a kid with Cagemas. Even in mm-hmm. schools, there's the Cagemas pageant, Cagemas carols, uh, the Cagemas mm. cage where they put the Jewish kids uh, so that they, so that they don't steal anyone's blood and make matzah out of it. It's yeah. it's just a but rough that's the time best of matzo. year, right? And you know, Nicholas Cage comes by and gives all the the Cageman uh, kids, uh, you know, like white pythons and uh, and you know, pyramid uh, mortuaries, uh, uh-huh. to, to, you know, like as yeah, presents. Yeah, yeah. first a, appearances a, of Superman, that sort of thing. If you, and Mongolian tyrannosaurus skulls, he has to return. Yeah, I was always asking my parents, why do we celebrate? Why do we celebrate Jean-Claude Van Damme? <laughs> and they were like, it's eight nights of Jean-Claude. <laughs> no, you see, he, he was only supposed to be able to do splits on a table, but he jumped and did a split on a kitchen counter. It was a miracle. Yep. That's so many splits, that guy. Yeah. <laughs> he only had enough crotch for one split, but he did eight splits. I mean, it is the best way to show off that amazing butt. Oh, <laughs> oh my is, Lord. It is. Yeah, come on. Uh, so and and uh, Dan, of course, speaking for the uh, butt worshippers, that's his religion. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, <laughs> this mo- why, I guess, uh, primal. That's the question our audience is asking right now. Yeah, when- I mean, I feel like this is a year when there's been so many great Nicolas Cage movies have just poured <laughs> down the pipeline. <laughs> why did we? Why did we take out our panning pan, stick it into the river of Cage <laughs> movies, and pull out this one? 
I mean, I, I do think that we had, there were a lot of uh, jujitsu partisans on Twitter, and mm -hmm. I'm sure we will get to that. But uh, mm -hmm. at this moment, we were like, let's go with the one we can watch uh, with our Hulu subscription rather than <laughs> paying for mm -hmm. jujitsu. Um, so that, that, was, that was the thing behind that one. And then, like, you know, the other movies he was in this year, like, I mean... People have been trying to get us to do Color Out of Space, and I'm like, what are you talking about? That is a great movie. I love Color Out of Space. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I think it's because it, really it, it is a big Nicolas Cage mm -hmm. performance. And sometimes, I, you know, I don't want to speak ill of people, but sometimes people see a big Nicolas Cage performance and they think it's a bad Nicolas Cage performance. And I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> No, no, that's a good Nicolas Cage performance. Yeah, it's like going to Benihana and being like, just give me the food. It's like, no, no, that's not what you're coming here for. It's like you you're, might be at the wrong restaurant if that's what you're looking for, sir. Yeah. I love the idea that someone is just like, I just had a long flight. I just want to stop. I just checked into my hotel. What's the nearest restaurant? Benihana's? Okay, great. I'll try it. And he's less like, Give me my, why are you just flipping one shrimp at a time at me? Yeah. I don't want it to I'm, go in your hat. Just give it to me. Come I'm on. I'm so hungry. I'm so hungry now. <laughs> it is almost as if dinner is the show right now, and that is not what I want, sir. <laughs> it's bad. Oh, I am. Uh, let me just uh, bang my fist on the table in anger. Oh, oh God. Oh, it's so hot. This table. It's like the table is a, is a griddle. What's going on here? I'll be taking my business to medieval times from now on. <laughs> <laughs> they have none of this shenanigans. <laughs> just oh, man. mutton without fuss. <laughs> just give me, all I want is to sit at my table, eat a squab with my hands while I drink Pepsi out of a mug and not have to deal with any sort of drama. <laughs> so, yep. um, kind of on the subject of medieval times, this movie begins in the rainforest in Brazil. <laughs> Okay, I, I mean that's an interesting segue in that those two things are not related at all. Uh, well, well, the reason here's the connection: if you go to a medieval times, there's a chance you'll see an exhibition of falconry. Falcons okay. do not live in the rainforest, but other birds do. Okay, okay. that's a very. I mean, I feel like you. That is the you took a you took a faucet and you shoved it in a pumpkin and you said, "There, that works. Turn it on." And I'm like, "Okay, I'll go with it." So yeah, movie begins, smash cut, Rainforest Brazil <laughs> exterior, Nicolas Cage playing a character named Frank Walsh. Walsh. My second favorite Nicolas Cage character named Frank, after, of course, Frank Cadillac from the movie Next. Oh, yeah. yeah. That, is that the one where he knows what's going to happen next? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the one where he runs a deli, and he's just constantly yelling out next. But then one day... The ticket machine breaks. Nobody has a number ticket, and he doesn't know what to do. And he goes into a spiral, kills a lot of people, uh, and then eventually, one, he like shoves one guy's hand into the meat slicer and just keeps slicing away. And I'm like, take uh -huh. your hand out of there uh -huh. until it's just like a stump. Uh -huh. He just slices the hand away. Oh, what a great movie! Anyway, next, that's my recommendation for this week, I guess. Uh, so, uh, so next to Liz Cage sits in a hunter's blind, reading a real estate listing. Uh, he has a bunch of uh, traps set up, and he senses something is up in the woods. That's right. A white jag attacks his traps and then attacks him. Now, uh, let's be clear that this is a, a, a jaguar, the cat, a 
a white jag uh you know the 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 car did not like run into the tree that he was set up yeah not like someone's uncle who works in finance and knows what was cool 35 years ago (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. and it and it also wasn't uh the star of the tv show jag david james elliott who is white you know but Uh you know was his character named jag Jag. is that why it was called jag james elliott I've yeah. never heard of this person in my life, and I know that that is a tremendously popular show. It was on the air for 10 years, Dan. He played the lead character, Harmon Rab Jr., a name I'm sure you're familiar with. <laughs> Your sure. mastery over Jag makes it sound like you had to write a paper on Jag at some point, which yeah. can't be I the majored, truth. I majored in Jag studies. Uh, that was that was for, for my, uh, my grad degree. I'm, I have a doctorate in Jag. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So this white you jag in agriculture. <laughs> I've always it was been my dream to be named Secretary of Jagriculture in the cabinet, and I was hoping Biden would tap me, but unfortunately he did not. For that job, he just tapped me on the shoulder in kind of a creepy way, and then say mm. like, "Hey, looking good." And I was like, "I like you, but that was not okay." Uh, and maybe in the next administration, who knows? Dan, I, I assume that you're, you're Dan. You're just more familiar with uh, Patrick Labureau's character, Budrick Bud Roberts Jr., also on Jag. Oh, is is Dan watching an episode of Jag now, and that's why he's not paying attention <laughs> yeah. to the show? Yeah, that I makes sense. So. I think I think he might have frozen because he's streaming Jag right now. Anyway, so <laughs> yeah. Stuart, a white jaguar, a right, a, a white jaguar attacks uh-huh. Nicholas yeah. Cage, and what happens? Yep. From from this point on, to be referred to exclusively as a white jag, uh, attacks mm-hmm. Nicholas Cage. They uh, they roll around on the ground. Kills him. Movie uh, over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very short. They roll around on the ground, uh, and Nick manages to stab the jaguar in the shoulder with a trank dart, and the cat eventually collapses, blood covering its maw. Nicolas Cage's blood? Thankfully not. Cut yeah. to a small village where Nicolas Cage has an argument with his driver, Diego, who refuses to drive him, citing the Gato Phantasma, a local legend about a white jaguar, uh, from here on out, known as a white jag. Uh, Nicholas Cage says that is not a man-eater. Nope, that the white jag is worth a million bucks. So he has to drive this thing by himself through the jungle. And at this point, I'm like, oh, my God, this is going to be like Sorcerer. But instead Mm -hmm. of dynamite, it's a white jag. Now, I'd like to take issue with this scene because Nicholas Cage, you know, yeah, he makes a big point about how, like, this is a not a man eater. He's like only I think she said tigers and polar bears will stalk humans as prey. And then the rest of the movie does its best to undercut. <laughs> this is definitely a man eating. Well, I, I think there's. Oh, sorry, Josh. Oh no, you talk go ahead. I talk. think we might be about to say the same thing. Let's say it in know. unison. <laughs> okay. Uh, that's, you you go first, and then I'll uh, I'll tell you if it was the thing I was thinking. Okay. I was gonna say that it does seem like I don't think he's saying it's not dangerous because I had that same thought. I think he's saying they don't want to eat you, but they but I don't think he means it won't kill you. Like I think if it if I think he's implying like this is a big dangerous cat, but he's they're not like trying to eat and consume humans. It's no, not it's, like it's when the hunting jaguar... for fun and sport. Yeah, yeah. When the jaguar <laughs> like looks at a person, he doesn't see a big chicken leg, uh, <laughs> yeah. or, or like a can that says jaguar food. Yeah. yeah instead, he sees like a like a a toy or a doll that he can rip apart with his mouth. Mm. Uh, uh-huh. Now, that's I was gonna say that, but also I was gonna say this this beginning sets up Nicolas Cage as being not the greatest guy, and also not really being that great at his job. He's very good at <laughs> catching animals, but he doesn't yeah. seem to really understand animals. And this is shown by his uh, his. Uh, kind of cantankerous rivalry friendship with a parrot that's always chasing uh-huh. him. Yeah. And this parrot is a character that is not given his due in the movie. There is so much, like, he, that character has so much potential and they never 
use it. So it could have yeah. been his Iago, and they just don't go with it. You know, well, also, I, I at this point in the movie, I'm like, is this movie going to ask me to sympathize with someone who is trafficking in endangered animals? Is that the game the movie is playing? Because I am not necessarily going to go along with that movie. Now, by the end, they make some like small stabs at uh, making his motivations more sympathetic but it still seems like i'm just like i don't know guys yeah, yeah he's, just, he's trafficking animals to save an orphanage right because some uh some land developer is going to bulldoze the orphanage so the only way <laughs> yes. he can save it and is those animals this. are going to break dance yeah the only <laughs> way to, to win it back is if a white jaguar break dances and that means they can raise the money to save the rec center orphanage yeah i yeah. would pay to see that show i would be like wow this is great or <laughs> bar, and if it, if the break dancing doesn't work the white jaguar could just maim the land developer <laughs> oh yeah that's another good idea now Stuart you said he's about, to, he's about mm-hmm. to get in the truck this is going to be a wages of fear sorcerer style just like mm-hmm. white knuckle thrill ride as he tries to drive down these rocky steep kind of uh-huh. just uh, overgrown jungle roads with this dangerous animal in the back yep. of the truck it's just a two-hander while he's him drinking and the, while he's drinking it's a two-hander <laughs> and it's Nick Cage and this Jaguar the, the Jaguar versus the Cage War in this, in this drive that's the movie uh-huh. right Stu yeah that's you know what you would think like a lesser movie would make that the entire plot, but nope. That's just the credit sequence where we get somewhat thrilling music and kind of simple shots of the car driving through the jungle. We get all the credits during this time. The name Primal hits the screen. We're pumped. Okay. Now, we mentioned earlier that sometimes Nicolas Cage will bring, let's say, a large performance. And sometimes mm. Nicolas Cage brings kind of a more subdued performance. We already get, we've already we already gotten a little bit of a taste of Nicolas Cage, and we're going to get, obviously, a full meal over the course of this movie. <laughs> so, uh, what, what do you guys think so far? I think, I, think he's, I think he's bringing the goods today, guys. He's chomping on a cigar. He's stomping around. He's being a jerk to literally everybody in the movie. What do you guys now, this- think? This is, uh, I would say, this is what I would call middle cage, which is not bad. We all reach middle cage eventually, you know, and it's just, it's natural and healthy. God willing. Uh, yeah, God, yeah, thank you. Yes, God, you know, from your, from, from my mouth to God's ears for all of us, yeah. Uh, does God have ears? That's the weird thing. He's just kind of a disembodied universal spirit, but he's got big ears. Uh, so that, this is the kind of cage that we see in Stolen. I mean, where Gan- he's Ganesh not, has he's, big ears, right? And Ganesh is a god. Well, because he's got an elephant's head, yeah. yeah. But that's not his birth head. So, but uh, so, so that it's not Nicolas Cage, big big bad lieutenant, and it's not yeah. Nicolas Cage, Bangkok dangerous, just sleepwalking through it. This is Nicholas. This is to Olin Nicolas Cage. We're like, this is the Nicolas Cage that should be starring in a one-hour procedural that I would watch every episode of. It would be super fun. Call it NCIS, Nicolas Cage Investigative Services. <laughs> yeah, I would say this is a medium Nicolas Cage, and then occasionally we'll get a taste of a crazier cage in there. I agree. I feel like you get occasionally his line readings will be like... Occasionally? <laughs> yeah, occasionally. Occasionally, yeah. yes, of course. <laughs> um, like when he... The, like him being in a feud with a parrot that kind of like he <laughs> yeah. kind of peaks occasionally where he did, where there someone is like oh, this is this parrot and he's like a real einstein and it's like you didn't need to come in that hot kid you really this like what did this parrot do to you and uh but i kind of like his he's got kind of like a um an aggrieved schlub attitude yeah. like it's mm-hmm. almost Cage stanza, like George Cage stanza. Yeah. He's just like constantly coming up with rules that like no one else plays by. He's like <laughs> mad at things that no one else knew was a thing. It's great. 
And you're like, the whole time you're like, Famke Jensen's character is flirting with you, dude. Be nice. You don't have to be a jerk to everyone. And he's like... I mean, it's learning I, in the I way I read of, the game and I read for the game. Sean Penn got it. Uh, and so this is how I treat women. It, it's, I, an, I, it's the kind of African queen, Humphrey Bogart. Bogart that's for Halloween. Oh, yeah. Humphrey Bogart, Catherine Hepburn flirting, where it's like, we hate each other and then suddenly we love each other. It's that kind yeah. of flirting, you know? I don't I mean, I would say I, one of the things I liked about this movie is I think at the beginning of the movie, uh, Fampka. Janssen? Is it Janssen or is say, it Janssen? I'd say Janssen, but I might be wrong. Famke uh, Janssen is like... Famous a, Amos. That's, a, yeah. Famke, <laughs> she goes, it's pronounced fam, Famous Amos, but it's spelled yeah. Famke Janssen. She makes cookies. Famous <laughs> Amos is appropriately kind of uh, treating Nicolas Cage as like this <laughs> drunk asshole. And then as the movie goes on, she acquires a baseline appreciation for like how he's uh, good at helping in this situation. And at the end, there's like the glimmer of maybe there could be a romance. But I like that most of, for the most part, like they dispense with the idea that yeah. just because there's a man and a woman in the movie, they have to like each other. Yeah. Ba- baseline appreciation equals flirting, Dan. That's what I said. <laughs> okay. Well, it, this is also kind of the relationship like latter day Steven Seagal has with the female leads in his movies where yeah. like the person who's directing the movie kind of rightly realized like, no one wants to see this happen. Like, nobody wants to see that hooking up. Like, Nicolas Cage is not like, does not like cut a sensuous figure in this movie. He's like belligerent. He's, uh, he's, un- he's rude and unpleasant. And he's like, kind of like, uh, unkempt. It's just like, it's like a bridge too far. Like at the end of the movie where it seems like they, they have kind of a, an appreciation for one another and like maybe a companionship. You still aren't like, God, I hope I hope they <laughs> yeah. go for it. Yeah, they <laughs> grudging can make it respect work. is what they reach. <laughs> and, yeah, and, and I think there's some. I mean, uh, Nicholas Cage and Famke Jansen are the same age, I believe. So I appreciate mm. that the movie has two stars. Where if they did get into a romance, you'd be like, "That's great." Nicholas Cage. I don't have to imagine Nicholas Cage <laughs> macking all over some woman forty years younger than him. You know. Yeah. You're like, that's great. It's nice that he found someone. Yeah, that's good. You know what? They can build, you know, they've got a shared frame of reference. They grew up at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're at the same place in life. Like this, they really could build like a stable, not particularly exciting, but like, you know, just just a good relationship where they see each other when they see each other. Uh-huh. And, you know, there's no expectations because, what, are they going to ra- raise a family together? They, no. They both you know, have their own careers. They're not expecting one to like do favors for the other. One's yeah, not yeah. 26 years younger and pretending to be Spanish, let's say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I mean, they're gonna have they're gonna have that white jag money, and you know, uh, a house on Pine Lake is that what he keeps talking about? <laughs> That's what he wants the whole time. He's just talking about how I mean, when we first see him reading that real estate magazine while he's sitting in the hunter's blind, it's like that tableau tells us everything we need to know about mm-hmm. Nick Cage in this movie. He is real estate hungry. He's a hunter, yeah. and he's not taking care of himself. It, no. it also tells you the kind of like the nuance that went into making the movie, right? Like the magazine was called Real Estate. It just said Real Estate <laughs> on the front. There was no like title of the magazine. There was no location on it. They're just like, he's looking at houses. I don't know. Real Estate, idiot. Write it on the front. <laughs> uh, now, I just want to mention again. So this, because I, I, I don't think we're going to talk about it much. This parrot, uh, we learn later, has a trick where he can say, when he sees a gun, he says, take the shot, take the shot. This uh-huh. never pays off. 
No. Which is, the minute they did that, I was like, eventually, well, well, yeah. Nick Cage is going to have to shoot the bad guy, and the parrot's going to say, take the shot. But it does not happen. Hold on. I thought, doesn't it? I think that, like, d- later on, doesn't he say, hey, idiot, my gun isn't drawn, uh-huh. and when the parrot says, take the shot, and then he, like, the parrot flies off, and he gets suspicious. He's like, oh, maybe this parrot saw another gun, and that's when he, like briefly finds the bag. That guy. is the I'm most minimal, ourselves, that's but. a minimal payoff. We're being paid yeah. pennies on the dollar if that's the payoff <laughs> yeah. for that okay. bit. The payoff so, should be that, that that Nicolas Cage gets told by the parrot when to shoot the bad guy. That's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just with kind of an Ed Harris wearing a beret intensity, if that makes sense. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it yeah. makes the most sense. <laughs> no, I just imagine Ed Harris coming back from a trip to Paris and he's like, he's like, call me Ed Paris, I'm going to be French now. And he's just wearing a beret and listening to like a lot of uh, like um, Edith PF music and just like, Gainsbourg. Oh. You know? <laughs> oh, we got to make that happen. Guys, let's start a, a Kickstarter to send Ed Harris to Paris. <laughs> yeah, forget it, Emily in Paris, Harris in Paris. That's well, it was originally it. called Ed Harris in Paris, and then Ed Harris dropped out at the last yeah. minute and they replaced yeah. him with Emily. Uh-huh. And then it's supposed to it was supposed to rhyme and now it uh-huh. still rhymes Emily and Perry. I was actually yeah. at the concert where Jay-Z and Kanye West performed Ed Harris in Paris like 13 times in a row. <laughs> oh, and wow. oh wow. People were psyched. It was fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh so, so Nicolas Cage so is loading his exotic to? he uh, no, Nicolas Cage is loading his exotic animal collection onto a container ship. <laughs> uh, uh he's annoyed because the ship is going to have to stop at uh, Puerto Rico, and that's going to mess up his timetable. Uh, when a bunch of armed uh, armed soldiers, led by a U.S. Marshal, played by Michael Imperioli, arrive to escort a prisoner, played by the one, the only Kevin Durant, Flophouse fave, uh, mm-hmm. who is doing like a like a kind of a Hannibal Lecter soldier type thing. Uh, in my notes, I refer to it as Hannibal Lecter by way of your friend's uncle's impression of Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> <laughs> it. It also felt to me the Nicolas Cage presence also felt made it feel like oh this is Cyrus the virus like this is Con Boat is what we're about to do yeah yes yeah. that's that is definitely Con Boat it is animal it is snakes on a plane with more animals crossed with Con Boat and uh, I think I think I think Kevin Durand is also like he's like well Nicolas Cage is in this movie I got like whatever. Whatever scenery he's leaving unchewed, I gotta, I gotta jump on that. I gotta eat he, up those he, scraps. Even for like, I, I better match Nick Cage's intensity. And then uh, after the third day of shooting, was like, are you gonna amp it up at all, Nick, or am I? <laughs> like, because I feel like I'm, I'm balanced here. The, uh, so uh, I just, I just want to pitch to you guys this idea off of the concept con boat, which I love. Okay. Uh, yep. Okay. Thor hired all wants to prove that it's possible people could travel great distances using like a log built raft boat. Unfortunately. His crew is made up of escaped convicts. That's right. It's con c o n tiki, and it's oh. it, like it's exploration, it's adventure, it's action. And at the end, somehow this wooden raft explodes. Guys, how much money will you pay me to make this movie? Um, I mean, a well, wooden raft's not that expensive, right? So you don't need that much money. But I'm gonna need a bunch because we're gonna blow it up a few times in the movie. Oh, okay. So I, I mean, it's it's a, so you're paying for, but also the the talent I'm hoping to get in this movie is going to be enormous. You're going to have uh, probably uh, 
Gary Oldman as Lord Heyerdahl? Because we've seen he can play someone much younger than himself in Mank. There was at no point during Mank where I was like, no, this is clearly an old man pretending to be a much younger man. This it's is an old 43... man pretending to be a much younger man. <laughs> you know, I'm watching a 43-year-old and sometimes a 35-year-old in the flashbacks, and I'm totally yeah. buying the illusion that this is the person I'm seeing. Uh, now, I haven't the... seen Mank, but do they do the same technique as when they do like Better Call Saul flashbacks and they just uh, brush uh, Bob Odenkirk's hair forward and you're like, he's a 20-year-old <laughs> slipping uh, Jimmy they, over here. They don't even do that. Uh, Mank kind of exists in a world where he is always an old man, even when he's a young man. Now, and for the convicts, I was thinking the Muppets. So that's going to make the shoot much more expensive because I just saw Muppet Treasure Island and I was like, yes, that's how to do it. Muppets on the open seas. That's going to make it more expensive. Yeah, you're going to have to. Yeah, you're going to have to have divers underneath doing the Muppets. You know, Elliot, I've never financed a movie before, but it's probably like not a dangerous investment. So sure, I'll... (laughs) <laughs> I mean, it is. I mean, it is a dangerous investment, Dan, because my lawyer is a shark, literally, and he will oh. eat you during they call negotiations. That the most dangerous investment. <laughs> <laughs> Where you invest in Elliot's movie and then a shark hunts you. Yeah. You're, you're, ship, you're shipwrecked on an island where a guy is trying to sell you Bitcoin, and that's the most dangerous investment. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so Stu, who else? So, okay, so they're all getting on the boat. I apologize. We're like, no, it's okay. 10 we all got very excited uh, when when Michael Imperioli and Fomka Jensen show up. Fomka Jensen plays the special doctor who's there to look after the prisoner. Now, this prisoner is not only dangerous, but he also has a, suffers from a rare condition where if he goes to a certain altitude, he'll have a seizure and die. That's I why he's on... on the boat and not on a plane. This is the second movie I've seen in the last two weeks where that happens, but in the first movie, it's a secret, so I won't say what movie it is. Oh, oh. okay. Oh, oh interesting. It's called, it's called well, Secret Seizure. Yeah, pay attention to the episode. Josh will be dropping little Easter eggs the <laughs> whole time. as to what other movies I've seen the last two weeks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, so Nicolas Cage makes friends. Let's by... just say one of them took place in 1984, and I'm not saying George Orwell wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> So Nicolas Cage makes friends with people on the boat by being a huge asshole to everybody. Uh, (laughs) He explains that he's selling that white jag to the highest bidding zoo. He originally went to find a regular jag for peanuts, but now he found this white one. So, man, he's going to make bank. Uh, The feds are transporting an elite assassin counterterrorist who, as I said, can't fly because of a malformation on his brain that would kill him if he changes altitude. So there's a reason they're on a boat, guys. Okay, chill out. (laughs) Also, the romance of, you know, boat travel. That's the thing. He, like, comes on with a big steamer trunk. (laughs) 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 There are other convicts waving handkerchiefs as they leave. Yeah, yeah. Now, the the convict's name is Loeffler, so I'm going to try and refer to him as Loeffler or maybe sometimes Kevin Duran for the rest of this. So Nicolas Cage introduces... uh, Now, what's what's Famke Jansen's character's name? Dr. Taylor? Okay, you're right. It is Dr. Taylor. <laughs> oh, okay. I think you're going to get the last name. I would name. not have gotten any of You know wow. she's a serious lady because her name is Two Jobs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Professional. Uh, yeah, so Nicolas Cage introduces the son of the captain because the kid of the, ca- the captain's kid. That was originally going to be the name of the movie is uh, Captain's Kid. <laughs> Realized it didn't make captain's sense. Kid. Or Con Con boat captain's kid colon. It's called it's called Con Toddy, and its three toddlers have to sail a raft across the ocean to prove that toddlers could have populated South America or wherever. Elliot is really banking on Con Tiki jokes this whole episode. Yeah, it's, I mean, got like four it is more. not even a book I read recently. I read this book twenty five years ago, I think. Yeah. Anyway, it's by it's by Tot 
hired doll. A doll spelled D-O-L-L like a kid's toy. So Nick, Nick, Nick Cage is introducing this kid to his menagerie of critters, uh, not actual critters, the critters from outer space. These are normal animals. But he, exp- he, he describes each of these animals so you know each of the specific things he mentions are going to come back later. So when he talks about these monkeys peeling off your face, start watching your face, boys, because these monkeys are going to get loose and start face peeling. And when he talks about how his parrot says, take the shot, do not get your hopes up. That do will not, not play into the climax. <laughs> you will be bummed. Uh, also... So- I mean, I don't know if you guys had this problem. I could not tell. Like, parrots are not known for their uh, ability to enunciate, so I actually didn't know what that parrot was saying. I should have put put on the subtitle. Yeah, for the parrot. Yep. yeah, because he he they were the the thing he was saying was that the parrot hates guns. Yeah, right. That was like yeah. a trait of this parrot's personality. Yeah, <laughs> right. So I would not expect like to take the shot if he hates guns. Yeah, <laughs> or maybe he just hates people holding guns and not shooting them. Who knows? That's yeah, a, yeah. yeah. He, Every, he's, he's a big a fan of yeah. his favorite gun, Chekhov's. <laughs> 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 the parents like, hey, production for use, production for use. That was for yeah. Elliot, by the way. Oh, thank you, thank you. His girl Friday. Anyway, yeah. so the uh, uh, also, which animals are CGI and which are not? The white jaguar is very clearly a computer yeah. animated oh, jaguar. Oh, what? The monkeys, Wait, really? Are they real monkeys? Uh, I think I it was. To, I hate to they reappropriated it from like a Sega CD game from 1996. <laughs> Yeah, it uh, seemed yeah, like I mean, like it, a like a demo like a sound effect reel they would play before a DVD like a production yeah, if, reel. If that jaguar was any more CGI, he would be winking and rapping at some point during the movie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that there. I mean, in the cages, maybe there were some real animals, but I think everything was CGI after Even that. Even the maybe tapirs, not the snake. maybe not the snake. The taper, the tapirs looked real. I'll they say that. Delicious. They, I think they got a real tapir onto that boat. In which case. Uh, more power to you. God help you. It's, I've tried, and it's hard to get a taper onto a boat. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Nicolas Cage trains his own tapers. Uh, so <laughs> That's yeah. what he does. Well, he trains them, and then you have to pay him to have them in the movie. It's like a grift <laughs> he's got going on. They, they just they wanted to, well, actually, they wanted to hire his tapers for the movie, and he's like, if I get the role. Uh, well, we kind of already promised it to Michael Dudikoff. No, no, no. It's my movie now. These, 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 uh, tapers, these tapers it, are the best in Hollywood. <laughs> well, we'll just get a, we'll just use pigs instead. Are you kidding me? I know pigs are roughly the same shape and size as tapers, but it is not going to look as good on camera. No, I mean, we'll get, we'll get a pig and we'll put like a little trunk on it. No, pig? no, 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 no. You want to come in with a pig? Our movie Primal is going to seem generic. <laughs> if we use pigs instead of tapirs. Now imagine this same this same movie, but it's made by kids, and all the animals are just their pets. So they're so it's like dogs and cats, but they're pretending that they're wild animals. That would be pretty pretty cute. It would be pretty cute. Like if a bunch of kids did a um, be kind. Was it be kind rewind? Was that the most deaf Jack Black yeah. movie? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or yeah. like a, the, with a little kid kids. with like uh, soot smeared on his face to look like Five O'clock Shadow, like Nicolas Cage has. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah, that'd be adorable. Yeah. Chomping on a uh, cigar. It'd be a candy cigar because, you know, children shouldn't be even pretending to smoke a cigar because I think that just sends a bad message to kids, right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, pro- nobody should really be smoking cigars. I hope the tobacco lobby doesn't come out, but there's really no there's no good side to it. Uh, you, I mean, you they, get... they smell bad and you look like an asshole. Best case scenario, you look like Rudy Giuliani. And is that really such a good case <laughs> yeah. scenario? Well, that's even, cigars, how I mean, would you know that someone was a newspaper editor? Like, that's true. No, but you might also think they're just very rich. That's true. If they're, if they're chomping on a cigar. Okay, so only one, only one, only one person should chomp on cigars, and that's the alligator from Pogo. So this, it's <laughs> or okay. Mrs. E. C. Cigar. 
<laughs> whoa, whoa. Dan, some, some blue humor about the creator of Popeye. <laughs> Um, so at this point in the movie, right? They yeah. when they bring in uh, Loeffler and they they're like he's being openly contemptuous of them in like a very that that I think was that vibe of like his open contempt for the law that was like whose uh, charge he was in. That's yeah. what felt to me like Con Air. And I was like at this at that moment, like as soon as they lock him into that cage and she's watching over him, she's like, "I'm always on call as his neurologist." I like turned to my to my wife and was like, "How many minutes do you think till he fakes a seizure, gets out, and kills everyone?" Right? That's what, <laughs> that's what we're angling for here. It could not be otherwise. Yeah. Basically, the next scene involved like he he says he wants a coke. They don't bring him a coke. Of course. I mean, it's probably because of branding or something. Eventually, somebody gives him a coke, and that's what get, lets him do a seizure. <laughs> Are we to believe that he managed to get a hold of the coke and then he let the foam? fake a seizure do i don't know it doesn't well, matter i don't remember them handing him the coke i thought they put it just far enough outside his cage that he couldn't reach it to taunt him and oh. then he was like oh that's the last straw now i'm that's, definitely killing everybody now i'm gonna kill phone. all these army men and women <laughs> yeah <laughs> so he, he fakes a seizure they uh the two guards try and go in and stop stop him from having a seizure and of course he breaks free and murders both of them and now that he's free ho 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 he's got a machine gun uh yeah. he leaves dead one, bodies one of in the his guards wake. One of the guards does the most foolish thing you can do if a if a if a super assassin is having a seizure in front of you, which is he tries to open his mouth with his hands. Of course, he's just going to bite down on those hands, just like Nick Cage slicing off fingers in Next, the movie about the guy who kills everybody at that deli. <laughs> yeah. And that's just a bad idea. You want to keep your hands away from the mouth of any sort of mass murderer. That's just I'm just going to tell you, unless you are a licensed dictator dentist, that's the guy who goes and handles you know like. Uh, dictator's teeth, you know, mm-hmm. then you don't want to put your hands anywhere near the mouth of a mass murderer. I'll just tell you that. As Buster Imes would say, if you really want to party with me, keep your hands where that guy can't eat. <laughs> <laughs> I apologize. That's nope. just what my brain was going to think at this hour of the day, whether I was on this podcast or uh, not. Yeah, Mr. Yeah, yeah, Rhymes, yeah. we mean no disrespect at all. That just, you know, it was just Josh having fun. Please don't get mad. Buster Rhymes, we've had a contentious relationship with him, you know, so. Yeah, yeah I mean, I'm certainly very I'm certainly very jealous of his glow up recently. He went from, you know, being like a a larger fellow to a very in shape fellow during quarantine. It's uh I think that's the kind of thing that can inspire all of us. Okay. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> uh so they Loeffler gets loose, they make a plan to catch him, uh, that involves moving everybody to a secure part of the ship. But, of course, Nicolas Cage wants to feed his animals. It's been too long. They need food. However, they convince him not to worry about it. Uh, (laughs) And they want to secure all the civilians so that the soldiers can finally hunt the most dangerous game. That's right. This guy, Loeffler. Loeffler lets out Frank's animals. Of course, uh, they try to, like, they let the cook out, and they're like, hey, you should go to the kitchen and make everybody a bunch of food, I guess, to lift their (laughs) spirits. That's a big mistake, because Loeffler left a monkey trap where he left a bunch of monkeys in the uh, in the kitchen. Classic no, monkey trap. You no, just put monkeys in a room and yep. wait till someone goes in. And those monkeys well, also, totally like, murder this dude. This monkey tra- trap really works extra because apparently this chef really, really hates mon- monkeys. Like, immediately, he's just, like, got his uh, meat cleaver hacking wildly at these monkeys. Which He really you know, took I his eye know. off the ball. Yeah. <laughs> like, he... <laughs> 
there's like a, a, a murder, an assassin, right? A military trained rogue assassin loose on the ship that they're trying to avoid. And uh-huh. he's like, oh, time to settle this score first. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Do you think he's trying to, he's like, maybe if I totally kill these monkeys really gross, the assassin will give himself up because he'll know I'm not to be messed with. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, his plan backfires because the monkeys knock him on the ground and strip the meat from his bones like a critter ball rolling over a running away guy. <laughs> a lot of critter talk in this one. I like it. Oh, this is, man, this I is... love it. It's on HBO Max, or at least it was last time I watched it on HBO Max. So, so uh, yeah, so Nicolas Cage manages to sneak loose. Uh, he goes to find his animals. He bumps into Loeffler. Uh, oh, no. he, he Nicolas Cage manages to get a, a radio. Loeffler has a radio, and they kind of, like, bond over the radio, having both been soldiers. Nicolas Cage has to track down all his animals, and of course he gets... sleepless in Seattle moment. Yeah, it's, yeah, there's a little, you know, they, like... Nicolas Cage is like, maybe maybe I put up too many walls with this attitude I take with everybody. Um, does it, you know, it turns out it's not going to work out. like, this is going to sound weird, but it's so awkward making friends when you're an adult. Would you, like, would you want to, like, get ice cream sometime? Like, we don't have to sit down for a whole meal. I know it's weird. I know people go out for drinks, but that kind of seems romantic. Can we just, like... Is it weird for two grown-up dudes to just go get ice cream together in the middle of the day? And Nick Cage is like, that's the least weird thing I've ever heard. And then it's like, it's the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Yeah. Oh, man. I'm just thinking about thinking about pre-COVID times when you could just go for a random ice cream in the middle of the afternoon. It is really funny. Whenever my wife and I are driving around, uh, driving around doing work, if, we, if she ever sees an adult walking around in the middle of the day just eating an ice cream cone. She gets, like, irrationally angry. She's like, you have nothing to do. <laughs> really? Because my, my, my immediate reaction is, I should do that. This yeah, guy yeah. has had a great understand. idea. For Charlene, like, it's like, oh, la-dee-da. <laughs> <laughs> that is, like, the grinchiest response. I guess. You got yeah, yeah. stopping... Nothing stopping her from getting ice cream if she wants to. Look, buddy, know. you got time to cream, you got time to clean. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. what they say in a, in a, with the, with those topless maids. That's what they also say. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now, okay. Uh, that was disgusting. Sorry, Josh. Anyway, so the <laughs> Thank you. now apologize to Buster Rhymes. Sorry, and I apologize. Right. Apologies, Mr. Rhymes. I know you don't like that kind of talk. Uh, so, uh, speaking of pre-COVID times, I was with my children at a public park earlier today, masked, very distant from everybody else. We were safely and healthily exploring the abandoned zoo cages at the Griffith Park, uh, former L.A. Zoo, which is a wonderland of rusted metal and uh, yeah. little baggies that used to have drugs in them littering the ground. Uh, and so, and we passed by a water fountain, and my younger son, who's two, he was like, I want to drink a water. And I was like, no, no, that's turned off right now. And I was like, now that seems like the most insane idea in the world. I use insane, you know, not in a pejorative way but a little bit, uh, to go to a, a thing just out in the open in a public space that shoots water and put your mouth right above it and shoot the water into your mouth and just kind of like, well, and you might wait online to do that behind other people who are also going to just put their mouths right over it. Like, that seems crazy to me now, but I used to do it. Guys, what's your feeling on water fountains? Is it as weird as it seems to me now that we live in a germ, a germ uh, potopia? I mean, at first I was like, what, well, what's your problem? It's just it's shooting the water into your mouth. That water's not getting reused. But then I'm like, well, there are a lot of those weirdos who put their mouth right on the 
right on also, the thing. Also, have right? you ever like used a water fountain? They're practicing for when they really get to kiss a metal yes. robot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. There's so, those those you know, water fountains are not the most efficient water delivery system, and a lot of that water <laughs> just dribbles right out of your mouth back onto the fountain. So yeah. it's yeah, it, but they're not reusing that. <laughs> Water shooting it back into your mouth. That water doesn't go into a that water doesn't go into a separate tube to go to the wastewater area. It just falls right back into the same pipe. <laughs> it's yeah. got a drain, Ellie. They're not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that yeah. water is not. Yeah, this isn't this isn't Mario Brothers. They don't come out and down in the same. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, this it just seems it just seems bizarre to me now that I ever was like, oh, let me go to this germ bath and just <laughs> shoot it into my face. Do you need it's like an sure incredible cross section to explain how a, wa- a water fountain works? Yeah. What seems <laughs> bizarre to me is yes, that you drank from a water fountain at any time if you thought that was how it worked. I never thought about it before because I thought I would live forever. Also, it's always seemed weird to me that I call them water fountains when I should call them drinking fountains. Every fountain is a water fountain unless it's like a samurai like a, chopped a guy's head off and a fountain of blood shoots yeah. out. Like, it's, or, like a water fountain. fountain is redundant. You know, it doesn't chocolate tell you fountain. Anything. Yeah, chocolate fountain. Yeah, a lot of fountain. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Okay, uh, so... Fountains uh, of Wayne, I guess. Yeah. Nicholas Cage manages to get his most important item. That's right, his trank gun that has a little strap that he can put around his wrist so you know that thing's not going nowhere. He's going to have that until <laughs> the grave. Uh, let's see. So uh, they, they all like split up. All the soldiers split up, which makes a lot of sense. This gives Loeffler time to infiltrate the engineers and find out all about how the ship works. He does some really good character work with these guys, so they buy that he's just a regular Joe working on a boat uh of course well, they, i think they th- they think he's one of the soldiers he yeah the he n- gave the name of one of the soldiers as if they know all the soldiers names and they were like <laughs> oh right okay well right, right, yeah. that, that checks out <laughs> from the mixer he's like i hope these guys didn't talk to that soldier during the mixer when the, when we launched the boat <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's usually what happens everybody gets up on the forecastle and yep, the folks drinks, and they drink champagne and they're like <laughs> oh they wave goodbye to the people back on the, on dry land right mm-hmm. okay yep. so uh well it's imp- it's interesting that we've been talking so much about water fountains because the next crisis is that there is no water on the boat and you're like but there's water water everywhere but not a drop to drink mm-hmm. um <laughs> <laughs> Hugh guitar solo yep so they <laughs> Uh, they, the captain, uh, and, uh, you know, all the, all the people wander into like the water room. They find that the water's <laughs> all drained out, like all the, all the tanks are busted and the, there's like sparks shooting out of the control panels. And then all of a sudden the captain gets bitten on the leg by a snake and not just any snake guys, a fucking Bushmaster, Stuart Wellington's second favorite snake of all time. Now that's <laughs> What's the first favorite? Now we got to ask for the, like, yeah. the top What's the five, ranking? I think. Yeah. I mean, I'm just going to go with it. Bushmaster used to be my number one snake behind mm-hmm. like Emerald Viper, Viper and an Eastern Diamondback. Wait, but, so you're saying it was your number one snake behind yeah. two other snakes? Thank you, Elliot, for. <laughs> I'm getting all worked up here. You guys are confusing me with your Bushmasters, your uh, your Emerald Vipers. But my obviously my number one now is the fattest of the Vipers. That's right, the Gaboon Viper. Not the Gambon Viper, that's the one that welcomes you to the layer cake. But the Gaboon Viper <laughs> is the one that's a big fatty with little horns on his nose. And he looks awesome and he's super deadly. Bushmaster, it's, also super deadly. Oh, de- that it's less me. weird that you know this much about snakes than Elliot knows that much about Jack. <laughs> <laughs> now, wait, but Stuart, did, this reminds me, I, I meant to text you. Did you see they discovered a new species of Matamata? 
No, what? My favorite turtle, the Matamata? Mm-hmm. There's a new species, and it looks super crazy. Oh my! Uh, what? Wait, what is it? Um, don't spoil it. I gotta look no, it no, up. Look it somebody up somebody look it up afterwards. That like, was why my, am I, it was why my... am I wasting my time with a podcast when I can be looking at pictures of a sweet turt? That was it. Was my that was my second favorite. Uh, natural world discovery story recently. The other one being the fifty-seven thousand-year-old baby wolf that was discovered preserved in ice. Uh, but yeah, there's a new Matamata. You're gonna like it. Oh man, oh man, what a teaser. Oh, okay. So Bushmaster bites the captain, and of course, you guys were like, "Fuck, this dude is smoked," because a Bushmaster's venom is super <laughs> deadly. Uh, but and Nicholas Cage is like, "Oh, don't worry, it'll be fine. Uh, maybe we'll get some antivenom." Meanwhile. But he, know, he knows he's lying. He yeah, because like, Famke Jensen is like, we gotta help. And he's like, uh, no, I was just lying. <laughs> I, was, I was trying to keep the kid happy. Well, he's trying to keep the kid happy, and I think he's looking for an excuse to just go for a little walk, you know? Yeah, because I'm not... you're all cooped not... up in one room, you're like, well, he's that, he's that age, he's gotta get his steps sticks. in, you know? <laughs> I'm not sure if we've made it clear, I, if we have, I, I forgot, that the uh, captain is the father of the kid that has... Yeah sort of melted Nicolas Cage's heart a little bit. Yeah, it's ironic because the child is the father of the man. But in this case, the <laughs> captain is the father of the kid. Yep. yep. The, and and Femke Jansen keeps trying to, like, get Nicolas Cage to do something good. And he keeps being like, <laughs> no, that's not what I do, lady. Like, his whole thing is like, no, I don't care about stuff i just want to do my thing <laughs> look i'm We've all about real estate and selling wild animals that's what i do ask me to do one of those two things otherwise i'm the bad guy duh she looked at her uh she looked uh Famke jensen looked at her horoscope and was like convince one person to do a nice thing and she's like okay i guess i got my marching orders <laughs> guys, like, guys uh, i picked the wrong guy <laughs> Thinking about both captains and animals, uh-huh. Captain Kangaroo could be so much more exciting than what it actually is. Like if you're just basing it on the title, yeah. Like imagine a kangaroo who's a captain. Yeah, that's yeah, all. sure. Well, that's the problem is that say. the problem is that he's a captain in the SS, so that's the that's oh, the no. real issue. Wow. So, so it's less cool. That's why they replace him with Bob Keeshan. Yeah, no, but you're right, Dan. Uh, it's uh, uh, when I was a kid, certainly Captain Kangaroo was already like not hip anymore like mm-hmm. it had been on since my parents were kids and i certainly had an image in my head that was not borne out when they said hey watch this and they showed me a man that was not a kangaroo yeah. just talking about just i don't got know a what. guy with a bowl cut that's <laughs> 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 a puppet <laughs> there was was that also the show that mr green jeans was on who yeah. was a guy who had green pants and my dad would talk about how much he loved that show and loved mr green jeans and i was like that must have been a rough time in American history when you would just be excited by a man with different colored pants. Like, that's, it, this it is the novelty pre- he has. It would have been pretty fun if Mr. Green Jeans was a kangaroo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A little switcheroo right there. I think ping pong balls f- fell from the sky at certain points. That was the other big uh, draw in, in Captain Kangaroo Land. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not, I mean, not, I grew not, up on you not can't. Green slime. Well, that's the no. thing. I grew up on You Can't Do That on Television. I was used to much more exciting things falling out of the sky. And also locker room gags. Come on. When they would yeah. step out of the lockers and, and tell a gag. It's crazy because the whole time, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but they're on television. <laughs> yeah. That's the, mm-hmm. well, I mean, they, they were shut down eventually. Yeah. 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 OSHA. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you, you can't have a restaurant that essentially serves barf. And just yeah. and just have just serves vomit to kids and keep that open for too long. Eventually, the government's going to find out. Yeah. yeah. 
Uh, so me, while they're dealing with the whole snake situation, the white jag comes out of hiding and kills one of the soldiers. That's right. Maybe it is a man-eater or a man-killer. We'll find out. Uh, so the, the other soldiers are pretty pissed off. So they decide not only are they going to kill Loeffler, which Michael Imperioli's like, but he's my pride and joy. Uh, they also he decide- He has to get there alive. We have to take him in alive. He's very committed. He is very much like, he had, he watched only up to he watched aliens but not after uh paul riser dies he's like <laughs> paul riser is a good guy it's all gonna work out for him hero of the movie yep. if only lousy ripley would get out of his way and just <laughs> let him do his job he just wants one of them xenomorphs uh they also decide they want to kill the cat which of course the cat in this case the white jag nicholas cage not a fan of this plan now, so, this would be a bad time for me to stop momentum by making up a joke about Xenomorph's arrow, which is a classic ancient Greek paradox uh, in which an arrow, which seems to be an image of movement, is actually not because a little mini arrow comes out of the front of it and goes through Harry Dean Stanton's head. Anyway, that's <laughs> Xenomorph's arrow. That's, that was a waste of time. Stuart, keep going, please. So, I think uh, that's the slogan of the podcast. Well, that was a waste of time. <laughs> Wasting your time since 2007. Anyway, Stu? Uh, so, uh, Dr. Taylor and Frank, uh, this is their character's name, obviously. It's Fomka Jensen and Nicolas Cage. Wander off to find <laughs> Antivenom and just kind of to goof off for a little bit. Uh, Nicolas Cage used this as an opportunity to start hunting monkeys with his blowgun. And it's a great scene of him uh, dipping his little blow darts in poison and spitting them on monkeys. Using a tube, like- not just using his mouth. That would be silly. Yeah, that that sounds like a like a nineties alt rock album. Uh-huh. Hunting monkeys with his blowgun. I don't yeah. know why. Yeah. Something about it. Standing yeah. outside a broken phone booth, hunting monkey monkeys with my blowgun <laughs> with money in my hand. It's a primitive radio. Guns. Yeah. Primitive radio. Nick Cage. Yeah. <laughs> in in scenes that almost mirror each other, we see Wait, the primal radio gods. Is that where we primal radio that? gods? That's oh. good. Anyway. Uh, in scenes that almost mirror each other, we see Nicolas Cage hunting the monkeys and Loeffler hunting the pilot and his guard with a oh. rifle. So he kills He's the real the, monkey, huh? Yep. He kills the pilot and uh, <laughs> decides the to- The real monkey, it turns out, is man. <laughs> oh, interesting. Loeffler when- turns the ship around and then breaks everything. Go on. When Leffler was shooting people like through the window from far away, mm-hmm. uh, I had the fun thought for no one. Wow, Kevin Durant is still really great from long range, even coming back from that ruptured Achilles. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, kind of a basketball cage miss crossover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. finally, you know, finally. I don't, I don't know anything about basketball, but I know enough that uh, Ellie's text about Kevin Durant uh, confused me a little bit for a second, but. That's kind of where I live, in jokes that are mostly confusing. <laughs> so they is realize it a the boat is a go- mistake. Who knows? <laughs> Sorry. The boat's going in the wrong direction. Uh-oh. Uh, Nicholas Cage manages to get the drop on Loeffler. They get in a standoff. This is one of, there's a couple more of these scenes where they basically, like, just get in a fight so they can interact for a little bit and talk, and then they wander off in yeah. their own directions. So they get in a standoff. Uh, he, Nicholas Cage, has to choose. Is he going to shoot... Uh, the white jag or Loeffler with his one dart in his dart gun, his trank gun. And because that, that jaguar, uh-oh, here it comes. Watch out, boys. It'll chew him up. It's a mm-hmm. man-eater. Yep. <laughs> and it might eat the kid, right? Yeah, That's it was, where, it in was that moment. threatening yeah. the kid. Uh, so he, instead, of course, he shoots Loeffler, and then he scares the cat off with his uh, his pistol, and Loeffler runs away. Scene over. Nothing accomplished. 
except Nicolas Cage, I guess, shows that he's grown a little bit as a person, right? I was a little confused by this too because it seemed like it seemed from the way this scene was shot at first that Nick Nick Cage did hit him with the dart, but then the dart was on the ground; it didn't have uh-huh. anything missing from it. Like the bad guy seemed okay. I don't know. Yeah, that was. I, I think that's. I think it. If I was theorizing using information from later in the movie, because I had the same impression, I think the thing is like it did hit him, but he mm-hmm. pulled it out quickly because later he takes a couple right. of those darts, and it takes a yeah. while for the for the curare to to kick in. Uh, but here it's. Uh, I think I don't know if it's necessarily character growth for Nicholas Gage that he didn't let a, his jaguar maul a child because uh, mm-hmm. he's always been. It's, he has that relationship with him that's kind of like a Wallace Beery type thing where it's like ah, I'm kind of mean to this kid, but I give the kid a lot of my time. You know, like I'm, I'm kind of a rough, gruff guy, but the fact that I'm sitting here talking with the kid shows that I really have a soft heart inside. He's like, uh, mm-hmm. you know, or Ed Asner and Up, that kind of thing. You know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so this is the point in the movie where we start worrying about lifeboats, right? There's two lifeboats, oh. but apparently most of the crew stole one of the lifeboats and ran off, which is why we haven't been seeing them. Uh, the really the... helped cut down the budget that the crew ran away with the lifeboat. So we have <laughs> to thank them because it meant that many actors they didn't need to pay or is show it... on camera ever. Is and the, that lifeboat budget was going to go through the roof yeah, if you had to yeah, see yeah. that other lifeboat. <laughs> yeah, they're, luckily they're able to reuse the, the first lifeboat for the <laughs> second lifeboat when they shoot it so that I guess nobody can escape using it. But then they remember, oh, yeah, there's like a second secret life, like a third secret lifeboat somewhere in the hold. We'll get to that later. And now I know what you're thinking. I want to see Nick Cage get in that lifeboat with that white jaguar. Guys, that movie already exists. It's called Life of Pi. I think you're <laughs> going to love it. It has a lot to say about the universe and our place in it. Continue, Stuart. <laughs> So, uh, Nicolas Cage storms off to find his white jag. Uh, Loeffler kills the leader of the soldiers and a bunch of other soldiers. They're basically all getting killed. Loeffler manages to jump him, beats him up, ties him up. Uh, we see Michael Imperioli kills one of his own guys to save Loeffler. Wow, he huh? is a traitor. He's got to bring him in alive. This jaguar yep. showed his spots. Right? Based, on, thing? <laughs> based on what we find out later, I was a little unclear about Imperioli's uh, play here. Because, like, it seemed like, from what we learn, and I'll just spoil it, that this you know this guy used to work for the government, this bad guy. and Loeffler. Then he went rogue, um, and they're just kind of trying to clean up their own mess to some degree. Like, it seems like they would just shoot him. But I guess he might have some information that they want or something. I don't know. It, no, I'm with you. At the resolution, because he's he's so insistent. We've got to bring him in alive. I'm going to kill one of my own men so I can bring this guy in alive. And then at the end, he was like, I have to bring him in alive. And he was like, well, I have compromising information on you. And it's like, well, that's a second reason to kill him. Yeah. yeah. Why, there's no reasons to not. <laughs> I mean, yeah, other than just like the goodness of humankind. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Imperioli is, they revealed that he's an NSA guy. He's not, he's not. This, he's there under false pretenses. But yeah, it's never clear what, what, like, if the NSA just wants to, like, clean up their own tracks, then killing Loeffler right now would be the the best thing for them yeah, to I do. Absolutely. It's such yeah. an excuse. Because, like, if they had to put up the pretense of, we're bringing him in alive, we're going to give him a trial, but really they were fearing that he would expose them and all the things he, they had him do, you'd be like, oh, I understand this tension. But there was no tension. Like, everybody has the same motive, which is, we hate this guy who's murdering everyone on the bus. <laughs> I really, yeah. I really, it's really disheartening to hear you guys talk about a human life like a number on a balance sheet right now, you know? <laughs> I mean, Imperioli shot the other guy, so someone was going 
going to die. Well, he's, he slit his throat, I think. Yeah. Right? Up close I mean, and personal, yeah. like he likes it. Also, these are fictional characters. But it does feel, it, there's something there that makes me think that there had to have been more God, going on this... with Michael Imperioli's character, and then fictional... they just like either... Fictional characters. Yeah. Is this the Christmas I find out Michael Imperioli isn't real? <laughs> oh, I didn't want you to find out this way. Uh, uh, your parents Sorry. should have told you. But he's got yeah, a yeah. podcast now. <laughs> yeah, but the tequila, the tequila commercials. Uh, he, it's. I, I wonder if it's one of those cases of like, we didn't have him for as many days as we thought we had him for, and so the scene where he was gonna like do something, we had to, we, mm-hmm. we didn't shoot, or because it really feels like there's a big chunk of movie missing that would explain why yeah. he wants him alive. Yeah, or, there's like three walk and talks they were planning on shooting, and they just didn't do. And the or movie like, is very short, so that also yes. tracks yeah. that way. Yeah, or like, like, because I was, I started wondering. I'm like, is it tur- going to turn out that like he's in love with him or something? Like, what possible reason would he have for keeping him alive? And they never, is or he that they were going to double cross everybody else and escape, like, and yeah. do crime stuff together. Yeah, but there was that, no. <laughs> that that never happens. They never try to do it. So it's really, yeah. it feels like it's just a matter of like. We'll figure it out. We'll figure out why he's doing these things when we get to that part. Oh, we didn't figure it out. Oh, well, uh, the movie's over. Goodbye. Yeah, and then they take was... all the money from the townspeople and they skip town and to show Primal at another town, uh, hoping that word hasn't got ahead. <laughs> kind of on a on a music man type. Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the town's grifters. having a town meeting and they're like, we don't have any movies to show. Well, well, folks, have I got the solution to your problems. Uh-huh. Hello there. The name's Cage. Nicholas Cage. And I want to tell you about a little movie called Primal. Well, it. the Cage and movie wagon is a coming down the street. <laughs> Gary, Indiana, Gary, Indiana. That's, where, that's yeah. not where he's from. That's right. <laughs> yeah. No, but he was in the movie about the USS Indiana. <laughs> yeah. Just use uh, the think system on the screenplay. So, yeah, we're not. We're down to, uh, you know, we're in the home stretch. We're down Wait, to only a few more. characters Wait, left. More. Wait, yeah, yeah. There, were co- there were cobras in his house. <laughs> But he never heard them hissing, so they Perfect. tried to kill him in his sleep, and he gave feel, them away. Dun, there's, a, dun, yeah. there's a certain art to starting a sentence knowing you're going to get interrupted for another song. <laughs> <laughs> so we're down to there just was a few a skull characters. From a Rex, <laughs> but it turned out it was stolen, so he had to send it back. To Mongolia. So these songs are now about the real Nicholas Cage. The real Nicholas Cage. Character in the movie. Yeah, so and we got- he was planning to be buried in New Orleans in some kind of pyramid. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like that. Anyway. Yeah, so we got uh, we got the doc, we got uh, Nicholas Cage, we got Rafi, the, that's the name of the son of the captain. The captain's yeah, still clean to life, despite the fact Rafi. that his body is burning up with Bushmaster venom. <laughs> yeah, this is the thing. They, like, make a big deal about how, like, he's dead already. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. then, like, he, he, he hangs on through the movie for has, reasons that are never really explained. He has the best case scenario, which is, like, everyone else is running around ch- chasing this murderer or being chased, and he just gets to sit back and just be in a snake venom coma and then gets off yeah. the ship and he's yeah. fine you know yeah they're like no don't don't worry about the killer focus on getting well <laughs> <laughs> this is kind of a goop thing right you go through a yeah. tough day in a snake venom coma you get yep. revived all the toxins are out uh-huh stick a magic egg up your butt and then you're healed <laughs> yeah, uh, is that what they say in goop because if you stick an egg up your butt it will turn to goop it'll probably crack you know yep 
So they they find the spare lifeboat. Uh, they toss it over the side. They're like, we're going to get free. And then Loeffler shows up. They get to gun battle. The special raft gets shot. Uh, they use the, the shipping containers to kind of evade uh, Loeffler. And then Nicolas Cage goes down, grabs a fucking compound bow, and he's like, I'm going to go hunting. And he uses uh, Fomka Jensen as bait. And you're like, hell yeah, this movie's going to get awesome. Does not stay awesome for very long because we almost immediately get into a standoff where Frank uh, has uh, Fomka Jensen in Frank. Frank's Nicolas Cage. I just fucked that all up. <laughs> So many names, and my notes are so poorly written. Uh, Loeffler <laughs> manages to get Fomka Jensen. You're doing uh, great, Stu. You're doing great. You, you know, we're all flawed. None of us are perfect. You. You're doing great, yeah. Loeffler has Fomka Jensen. He's got his uh, machine gun. He's got it, like, machine gun up to her head, but he's, like, holding it kind of awkward, and you're like, really? Is that going to work? I don't know. <laughs> Nicholas Cage has him dead to rights with his compound bow. He's got it pulled back, and you're like, oh, man, this is going to be awesome. But before he can shoot him, Michael Imperioli shows up and they, we have this three-way standoff where everyone's shouting. There's a lot of talking. Of course, everybody starts getting shot. Uh, Michael Imperioli gets killed. Nicolas Cage gets shot. Loeffler gets shot. Famke Jensen, not shot. She survives. <laughs> now, I, this scene, I want to I, take issue with, let's call it the premise of this movie. Okay. Which is, I, <laughs> no, I think that the movie's leading up to this moment where it's supposed to be like, okay, well... Nicholas Cage is this expert hunter, mm -hmm. and now he is going to hunt this bad guy. Like the he's most dangerous use, game. Yeah, his special abilities as a hunter. And part of the problem is number one, as we've said before, he's not shown to be that great a hunter at the beginning of the movie. Like he seem like the first time we see him, he's kind of fucking up. But number two, like his big hunting plan at this point is like, okay, Famka, you're bait go downstairs and make a lot of noise. <laughs> and, like, the bad guy immediately, like, when he captures her, he's like, okay, well, clearly you were divergent. Like, yeah. he knows what it is. It is the simplest plan. But so, this play was all for what happens later. Yeah, right? I mean, mm -hmm. later on, he's more of a, a cool hunter dude, but yeah. not keep, now. Keep it simple, stu stupid. That's, uh, <laughs> I almost said keep it simple, Stuart, which is what I tell myself every morning. Keep it Stuart, simple. Oh, no, I messed it up. Uh, okay, so, uh, we, after the standoff, Loeffler manages to uh, tie the doctor and the kid up, and he leaves them with, with a little friend. That's right. The Bushmaster from before. Hell yeah. Oh, man, this guy's so tough. You got to watch out because that venom will kill you over the course of an entire movie, maybe. <laughs> uh, Frank and Loeffler. It feels getting, like uh, the, Bush, uh, the Bushmaster like, forgot to, to get a poison refill before he left the house that day. And he's just like, I got to make a big show of this. People are counting on me. Uh, play with me. Play with me. Like, now, uh, and that's what the thing about the Bushmaster is that they're normally capable of multiple venomous bites in a row. So you mm -hmm. would know. Like, normally, you're like, he's got plenty of venom in his thing. Like, I can't see. Obviously, he doesn't have, like, a little meter above his head showing me his venom reserves. That would be crazy. Or a video <laughs> game that I play. He's He's on venom. Yeah, that's when they put Bane in uh, NBA Jam. Is that, It's NBA Jam, yeah. right? It is NBA Jam. <laughs> cool. He, the, um, the other thing, there's just, like, so many little things in the movie where, like, 
just say he'll be dead in a day without anti-venom, not 20 <laughs> minutes. Like, <laughs> then it makes sense that he's alive in a day. Yeah. Well, well maybe they, maybe he said 20 minutes. So every, every extra day he feel like the guy's like, oh man, like, I got so much more time. I'm so much better at surviving it's, this than I thought. That's like, more I'm of a miracle super- of John Claude Van Damme than Cage. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or just like I mean, pick a less venomous snake if this is your your ploy. We'll still be worried for the guy if he yeah. doesn't have any anti venom. Right. Yeah. Just all those little things of like, wait a minute. Why don't you either both of you turn on Michael Imperioli or both of you turn on Loeffler? Just like you have common interests. Why is this a three way standoff? Yeah. <laughs> like, there's also a scene later on, like. Where like the kid has so, or I think we actually went past it. The shoot, up, the the standoff on the at the top of the boat, where like the the deck is, is what it's called okay. uh, amongst <laughs> sailors. Yeah, yeah, where the roof. There's a shoot off of the deck where like the kid has so much time to run away, and he yeah. just sort of stands around. Uh-huh. Well, similarly, there's a scene with, uh, that that we've got past where Loeffler calls into the Coast Guard, pretending to be a U.S. Marshal, and calling in for a helicopter and some food. And they're like, "We'll be there in one hour." And I'm like, "Okay, that's the ticking clock. They've got one hour to stop him before he escapes." Never comes up again. It's so, like <laughs> no. it's not yeah. not an issue. Not something Do- they needed to have in yeah. there. Doesn't uh doesn't speak well to the Coast Guard's ability to deliver within an hour, right? Yeah, and this <laughs> is definitely this is you definitely get the medevac those... for free if they take more than an hour too. <laughs> so, wow, and those are expensive. No, this is definitely a one of those action movies too, where the villain shoots or allows people to live at the whims of the screenplay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the, I think that the walkie-talkie thing where he's talking to the Coast Guard, it's I realize now it's there to pay off. Early on, he says to the U.S. Marshal. Oh, you're from Virginia, but you grew up in this place, and that's why your accent sounds like that. And I guess he's supposed to be like mimicking his accent over the call, but it just sounds like his regular voice. And it's yeah. like I don't, I don't buy him as like a Hannibal Lecter level yeah. like chameleon. You know, he just sounds and, kind of oh, friendlier. <laughs> over a radio, the Coast Guard is going to be like, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> This isn't a Virginia accent. I'm looking at your Facebook page, and it doesn't. It says that you grew up in Virginia, but you don't sound like a Virginian. Yeah, I called up a YouTube thing, one of those ones where someone explains a bunch of accents, and this doesn't sound like Virginia. See, I was catfished this one time, and ever since I've been extra careful. Fool me once. Shame on me. So, Shame on you. Yeah. <laughs> So we're uh, we have our big climax. That's right. We're back in Nicolas Cage's menagerie room, uh, filled with empty cages and a couple of tapirs and monkeys. The ironic uh, thing is, I'm sure Nick Cage's house he does have a menagerie room. I'm sure he does. So he's running around uh, shooting Loeffler with blowgun darts. He manages to get a couple of them in him before they both whip out knives, and we have a knife fight. It's looking tight. But eventually the poison uh, manages to whittle down Loeffler, who gets his ankle stuck in a noose, and then he gets hauled up and then left to be a meal for a white jag who shows up and is like, thanks for the handoff, dude. And then he gives Nicolas Cage a high <laughs> tag five. Tag in. Tag in. Tag me in. Yeah. I do want to say, I, do, I mean, like, it's hard. This movie is shot very dimly a well, lot. Oh. Yeah. And so it's hard to tell what's a stuntman but when i do see nicholas cage's face i'm like oh yeah not bad not bad nick cage you're still i mean like he's 56 years old he's not in his prime prime con air shape but he's he's doing well yeah there's a there's a one of the earlier fights between him and loffler loffler's about to shoot him and nick cage 
jumps up and slaps the gun out of the way and kind of yeah. like launches himself. And that one moment, I was like, that was a really like I was impressed by that move. I was like, yeah. that, the the speed and the aim in that move. Uh, the, but the director was a guy who was a stunt director and coordinator, I think, previously. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and so I was, was like, a... oh, this checks out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- something I want to mention about the Jaguar because is our last opportunity. Every now and then, you get to see a little bit of Jaguar vision. And it is like oh blurry and black. It's like fisheye and black and white. And I'm like, so the ultimate hunter in the jungle sees worse than I do? A man who needs glasses? Like, this is ridiculous. Yeah. It was the the that ploy at the end, too, to get him into the loop. Like, you could, re- he was really telegraphing it. He, like, telegraphing it. Like, he was borderline, like, a little to the left. <laughs> and then, uh, and then I turned and said to my wife, who graciously watched this movie with me, I said, uh, you know, in screenwriting, sometimes you save the cat, and sometimes the cat saves you. And, uh, again, a joke for no one to enjoy. Yeah, I had to say it out loud so it didn't poison my brain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, luckily, you saved it for the podcast. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Frank, you, you saved diff- the day. You, you diffused that poison out among multiple people so that yeah. it, it's not dangerous. It's just irritating. It's, yeah, Ringu It's more style. of a uh, primal Bushmaster level venom. <laughs> <laughs> so, Nicolas Cage has saved the day. A bunch of guys show up. Uh, they're like, oh, cool. Well, you can leave with all your uh, treasured animals as long as we see your paperwork. And he's like, uh. And then Fomke Jensen shows up and was like, uh, Loeffler burned his paperwork. <laughs> <laughs> Which is awesome. What an awesome lie. Great. Yeah, so good. <laughs> en- encouraging this fucking poacher. Well done. And he's it like, also- oh man, maybe we're gonna uh, maybe we're gonna get married or something. I don't know. Like, doesn't he doesn't he talk about how he's like, oh, maybe I'm gonna go to the same place she's at so we can yeah. start yeah, this dating in earnest. Yeah, well she he she talks gives to him the parrot about it. When she, she gives him her number in Adelphi in case He's ever around there, and he goes. He says to his parody, he's like, they've got a zoo in Adelphi. Because we learned earlier he worked at, what, eight zoos in ten years? Eight zoos in ten years. Because That's so funny. Such a funny detail. And she's yeah. like, you have a problem with authority, huh? Eight zoos know, in ten years. I, I want to see so badly the prequel to Primal that's kind of like Primal Beginnings, which just him as, like, the shittiest <laughs> zoo employee. who's <laughs> like, always getting his boss mad at him. Like, he just can't, can't remember to close the door on the gorilla cage or something, and they right. get out, like... Yeah. I don't know, like, in what world do you even get hired at zoo number six <laughs> yes. after five years? Yes. Is this, it just I, like I with, do not like, think this priests? is a profession where they it's keep like, giving you chances. It's like priests and cops where you just, like, kill a, an endangered animal or you kill a fucking uh, iguana and then they just, like, move you to another parish. <laughs> transfer, transfer him to San Diego. Anything goes over there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, no, okay, Nicholas Cage, you're going to have to turn out your pockets. Yeah, no, I see the zoo books stuffed in your pockets. <laughs> no, those are not. You didn't bring those from home. I know you stole those. stuffed in So he's doing the interview, Stu. You're saying it's his job interview, and he's cheating off of a zoo book that's, that's stuffed in his pocket? I was just saying that he worked in the, in the gift shop at the zoo. Oh, I see, I see. Uh, he's just stealing... Copies of but the magazine like, zoo books. He's like a badass zoo employee. He's like, you know, I've met Ranger Rick. He's a fucking animal. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he's a raccoon, right? Yeah. He is a raccoon. Yeah, but like, he's a savage. <laughs> I want to say uh, this ending, too, is is what I referred to before, where they make a slight stab at making you think, oh, this, this poacher isn't so bad, because he's like, oh, I'm going to take this cat to a reserve for endangered animals. I'm not going to sell it to a zoo for big money and you're like mm-hmm. okay great i guess you're wonderful now <laughs> you're not gonna have your your uh you're not gonna get your house to show up your dad <laughs> yeah 
<laughs> I mean, I'm glad he had his change of heart, but it does seem like just an afterthought of the movie. Like, uh, okay, and he's not not bad. He's okay. <laughs> did, wait, did, did we talk about that? I forget about how his his motivation behind buying a house is to be so his dad can come over and not use his fishing boat, and he can just show him how great his life is and make his dad mad yeah. about it. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> I've been there, man. <laughs> it's so funny. He's like, this whole thing is to spite his father. <laughs> like, there's all these threads that they kind. Of, there's yeah. like a bunch of balls that they throw in the air and then don't even try to. They're just like, hey, check out how many balls we threw. That's pretty yeah. cool, right? He's, he's <laughs> a super like, badass. He's a super badass hunter who has serious daddy issues and cannot hold a job at a zoo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's and just like, like he's got a, a lot parrot. going for him. That follows him around. It's not his parrot until the end of the movie where he names him. They're kind of frenemies. Uh, yeah. And then Femke Jensen's character. Is that, like, is, that your, is that your parrot, Frank? No, he's kind of a frenemy of mine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we, we went to college together. We, like, hang out when he's in town. <laughs> but I don't even know why. I mean, like, he'll be in town. Get this. He'll be in town. He'll call me to, to hang out on the last night. When he's about to leave, and he's like, hey, hey, can I stay at your place? And it's like, you weren't going to get in touch with me until the place you were staying fell through, were you? But I let him, because, you know, we've got those memories, you know. And we went out to dinner, and, like, the check came, and I'm like, I don't know, 50-50's fine, right? Like, I guess, but, like, he doesn't even reach for that thing. He just lets me pick it up every time. That parrot, we'd go out for tapas, our group of friends, and he'd just oh. put down like eight bucks and be like, I got to run. This should cover me. And we'd each have to pay like $60. And yeah. he's like, came I down didn't to my have any drinks. Table. Oh, yeah, like that <laughs> makes up for it. <laughs> I, you know, I've, come to, I've come to enjoy tapas as I've made my way in the world and now can, uh-huh. uh, can go out for tapas on occasion. But man, that, when I was young... What a bad idea for for a group of friends to go out for tapas. Yeah, it's terrible. Well, I mean, it's it's essentially a scam where they're like, yeah. here are here is your dinner. It is uh, four tiny pieces of something, and yeah. that will be seventy five dollars. But there's uh, but there's and you five of hungry. us. Have you ever been to a place where they you don't know that it's tapas? You're like, oh, this place looks good. The menu looks good. All yes. the food is a regular price, and then uh, it comes and it's like a t- you're like, is this a prank? That yeah. was. I remember visiting friends in Portland, and they were like, we got to go to this restaurant. It's great. We'll go for brunch. And I'm like, I could really go for a big brunch. Love it. What will I have? And we sit down, and they're like – and the waitress says, now, we are a small plates uh, family-style sharing restaurant. And I I almost walked out of the restaurant. I was so mad. I felt like I had been brought there under such false pretenses. This is some quality, like, 90s CBS-style jokes here, guys. (laughs) Every small (laughs) – I still am mad about it. I'm as mad about it as Paul Reiser was mad about it on Mad About You, I imagine. No, no, but that was a different kind of mad. I'm crazy for tapas. Small small plates and family style always go together, and it's like, what is this, a depression, Great Depression-themed <laughs> restaurant? Yeah. Like, there's only a little bit of food, and we all have to share it. Look, guys, we've got to, this is going to cost us a lot of money, and we've got to stretch it. We've got to make it last, so don't nobody be greedy. Now, what if Mad About You was originally called Mad At You, and it was about two, a couple that needed a divorce, but they refused to divorce because their apartment was so great? And then yeah. CBS was like, we love it. Uh, we were wondering if the couple could be in love still. And mm. Paul Reiser's like, how am I going to make this work? How could I possibly make this work? Uh, I, I mean, you watch that show. They're barely in love. <laughs> the, those characters. That would have been a good name for it. Barely in love. Barely, barely in love. <laughs> People would have thought it would start bears. Um, so let's close so the we, book on this guy. Yeah, it's a movie. Let's do our final judgments about whether this is a good, bad movie, a bad, bad movie, a movie we kind of liked, 
I this you know as always barely fits into any of these categories. <laughs> like I was watching it, I was you know. Audrey got bored pretty quickly, and then she was like, "This is bad, bad writing." And she's like, "And then she's like, or did I not pay much att- enough attention to it?" And I'm like, "Well, the fact that you stopped paying attention to it indicates that yes, it is boring in a lot of ways, but you probably would enjoy it more if you like engaged with it. Like, there's stuff in it that I liked. I liked Nicolas Cage. I liked the villain. Famke Jansen doesn't get a whole lot to do, but I she's a I like her as a presence in movies, and she felt like nice and competent you like like yeah, she just yeah. exuded competence in it i and whenever it went big it was kind of fun but so much of this movie just like does not engage with what makes the premise fun the premise is fun because there's a bunch of these animals loose on this damn ship and yeah. that feels like an afterthought like most of it is just like walking through like warehouse like the the the, the hold of the ship with guns you know and it's it's poorly lit poorly shot so you know sometimes i kind of liked it sometimes i thought it was just bad what do you guys have to say yeah i'm I'm with you dan i i would say i don't know i think this is a movie i actually kind of liked it's like dumb in a way that i enjoy it is as josh said like it throws a bunch of balls in the air it does not really care if they catch any of them uh it's like the action scenes are not particularly thrilling but it was like, I don't know, it was dumb in exactly the way I want a movie I watch for the Flophouse to be. And uh, yeah, the actors were fun to watch kind of act in the movie. Yeah, thumbs up. Yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> it's like a thumbs sideways movie. It's like not, ter- <laughs> it, it, it feels really like, you know what, like we've said it before, like I'm sick, I'm lying on the couch. Uh, it's a Saturday afternoon. This is available. Okay. Sure, this will be fine. It like is never quite what what stolen is, you know. Yeah. But it's like mm-hmm. kind of like stolen. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's one of those movies that's sort of fun, but you won't be mad if you fall asleep. <laughs> For sure, <laughs> that's a perfect way to. It's like however much of the movie you watch, you'll enjoy that much. It's it's like a it's like a continental breakfast movie. <laughs> I mean, it's I think it's a better movie if you fall asleep for a certain amount of it because it's like a repetitive movie where, that, like you said, Dan it doesn't live up to the premise of they're trapped on a ship with a killer and a bunch of killer animals. Uh, yeah. Like. So it's it's kind of like if you watch the beginning of it and then fell asleep and dreamed most of the movie and then woke up for the very end, you'd probably have a pretty positive experience and it, yeah, you'd have a better agreed. story. Yeah, I I don't think it was a bad bad movie because there was at no point was I like like mad that I was watching it. It like it's ninety seven minutes. There's like enough fun stuff where I'm like ah oh, the they he teased that the snakes were there and then the snakes great um he he. He's got a bow and shoots the guy through the shoulder and the bow and he pushes the arrow through his shoulder. It's like, just like, I, I, so I don't, but I also don't think it's good. Like, like good, yeah. bad movie in that it's not tight. It doesn't pay off the stuff you want it to pay off. The, the Michael Imperioli stuff, the, uh, the parrot saying, talking about the gun doesn't like pay off in a very satisfying way. But I do think I, I, my dad has a phrase for a movie like this where he describes it as having, I texted this to him immediately after I finished. I said, have you seen, uh, Primal with Nicolas Cage? It's got a lot of good beaten up. <laughs> and and, <laughs> and it, it felt very nineties. Like it felt like, yeah. here's the premise. We're just going to do more or less do that for 90 minutes. And then you're going to go home and you're going to forget whether it was this one or that one that the monkeys ate the cook. <laughs> Yeah. I do think that, like, there is something to uh, – it might just be pure nostalgia of, like, us all being the same sort of general generation. Like, 
these sorts of action movies were more of a part of our youth and now you know like anything that isn't a big blockbuster does get sort of shunted off like this film did and so i do think that yeah i i am more apt to be gentle on a movie like this too because i'm like oh you know like a basic action movie with like yeah a premise but not like a lot of bells and whistles yeah, I, I like that kind of thing, and, and I'm I'm happy. I think it was it did a good enough job where that it wasn't, like, super... It wasn't perfectly executed, but it also I didn't feel like I was being insulted watching it. Um, yeah. Where they were just like, look, some idiot's going to watch this on a plane, and, and, and that's how we make the money. Or, like, whatever. I, I So I will say, I, I kind of liked it. I, I, Dan, like you said, a nostalgia for those Seagal, Van Damme, Cage movies of, like, the mid-90s. And yeah. basically no animals got killed in the movie, right? Basically. No. Those two parrots, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, Loeffler does shoot two parrots, point blank. But The least, uh, the least. I think they chose that specifically, right? Because they couldn't kill the snakes for plot reasons. And they were like, we can't kill a mammal. That's fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. People won't stand for it. Yeah. Hi, it's me. Dave Hill from before here to tell you about my brand new show on Maximum Fun, the Dave Hill Good Time Hour, which combines my old Maximum Fun show, Dave Hill's podcasting incident with my old radio show, the goddamn Dave Hill show into one new futuristic program from the future. If you like delightful conversation with incredible guests, technical difficulties and actual phone calls from real life listeners, you've just hit a street called easy. I'm also joined by my incredible co-host, the boy criminal Chris Gersbeck. Say hi, Chris. Hey, Dave. It's really great. That's to... enough, Chris. And New Jersey chicken rancher, Des. Say hi, Des. Hey, Dave. The Dave Hill Good Time Hour. Brand new episodes every Friday on Maximum Fun. Plus, the show's not even an hour. It's 90 minutes. Take that, stupid rules. We nailed it. Does our podcast deep dive into the weirdest Wikipedia pages we can find? Yes. Do we learn about scam artists, remote islands, horrible mascots, beautiful diseases, and mythical monsters? Yes, 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 absolutely, and yes. Do we retain any of this knowledge? Eh, probably not. I'm Emily Heller. I'm Lisa Hannawalt. We make art and comedy and TV shows and also the podcast Baby Geniuses. For the past eight years, we've been trying to learn new things about the world and each other every episode. But let's be honest, this podcast is mostly about two friends hanging out, shooting the breeze, and making each other laugh. We're horny, we like gardening, and horses and we get real stupid on here but like in a smart way yeah join us every other week on maximum fun i think we have a couple of jumbo jumbo this week. Uh, the biggest of Stuart, trons why you, Stuart, why don't you kick us off jumbo trons of course dan i would love to let me do this <laughs> oh i know why this one was given to me anime has invaded our world Goku is a household name, but most parents don't know that he started out in the Japanese comics anthology magazine, Weekly Shonen Jump. But for every Dragon Ball Z, there's a series that died in obscurity. Why? On each episode of the podcast, Shonen Flop, David and Jordan read a canceled Jump series and determine if it was a forgotten gem or if it was really, truly a flop. Please do not sue us over the title. So subscribe to Shonen Flop on your podcast app of choice and follow our Twitter at Shonen Flopcast. Wow, you gave it to me because I'm the ultimate otaku. 
<laughs> That's what they call him, Ultimate Otaku. I have a Jumbotron too, so maybe this is the same kind of uh, uh, niche nerd uh, excitement. We'll Let's find go. out. Okay, so if you'd rather buy from local businesses than corporate websi- websites, Souk lets you do it with one click. A free shopping assistant for Chrome, Souk makes it easy to browse and buy from the best small businesses in your community. Whether you're looking for clothing, home decor, kids' gear, or more, Souk makes it easy, convenient, and affordable to spend your money where you live. Souk is free for small businesses and the communities that love them. Know a small business we should add? Just email us. So go download Souk. It's S-O-O-K for free from the Chrome store. That's S-O-O-K from the Chrome store. And I think, uh, Elliot, you had uh, a quick plug that you wanted to do. I did. So I have a comic book series coming out next year from Aftershock Comics. It's called Maniac of New York, and it is available for pre-order now. So call up your local comic book store. Say, hey. I want to get Maniac of New York. It's uh, kind of a take about a masked killer who is running loose in Manhattan, taking Manhattan, if you will. It's a completely original idea based on nothing. And (laughs) it is by me and the great artist Andrea Muti, who you may know from Hellblazer, among other things. Uh, I'm very excited about it. It comes out next year from Aftershock Comics, Maniac of New York. Pre-order it now. And is it uh, it inspired or related in any way to the short... uh a comic we did when we did our batch of charity comics that are available on our website. Yes. Great. That's a good point. If you want to get kind of a sneak peek of it, there is a comic book of the same name in our uh, on our available on our Flophouse website. You can you can buy it now and all the money goes to charity and it that was kind of a uh, demo run, you might say, for this. Mm-hmm. That was kind of like me brainstorming ideas that I am then using yeah. uh, in a greater narrative sense in this one. So yeah, good call Stuart. If you want a sneak peek just go do that, and all that money will go to yeah. a good cause. If you're a sneak peek freak. <laughs> Let us move on to um, letters from listeners like you. Anyway, this first one is from... <laughs> uh, that's, it's, you seem like you were opening that up for a... For a uh, what you said had a lot of like closure to it, and then suddenly you opened it up in a way that made me ask questions about what was going on in the situation. <laughs> yeah, and well, I mean, you don't know. It became ambiguous. It was very concrete and became ambiguous. <laughs> if you're listening, you know, you don't know. Maybe this was your letter. Until you hear it, it's yeah, like a Schro- yeah. Schrodinger's letter. Schrodinger's anyway. letter. His, well, Schrodinger's letter was, Dear Petco, I'm not sure if my cat is alive or dead. How do I find out? <laughs> and Petco's like, dude, this is not on us. Does, <laughs> does, does Schrodinger's... I want, a, is... I want a refund, or maybe I don't. It depends on what happens when I open the box. Does Schrodinger Dude. have really nice handwriting? Because he's a really good pianist, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. practicing. I was in the process of thinking, is there a Schroeder joke here? And I had decided there wasn't, so I'm glad that you jumped in. <laughs> um, so this uh, letter is from Trevor, not Noah, last name withheld, um, which only makes me think it's Trevor. It's more likely, yeah. More yeah, likely. possibly, yeah. Does he refer you should... to you as employee, Dan? <laughs> you should You should read it in his accent, Dan. <laughs> just, yeah. just in case it's him. <laughs> it, is it would be insulting not to, Dan. It is impossible to do a South African accent. It is so hard. Yeah, no one's ever done one. Um, so this, yeah, from Trevor, not know a last name withheld. Hey, Peaches, I'm a big fan of the Flophouse, but my wife has only heard bits and pieces, usually while riding in the car together. We had just finished watching a TV show, and out of nowhere, she looked over at me and said... Bow, mamow. 
I thought maybe this had something to do with our cat who was sitting nearby, but when I didn't respond, she stared at me and smiled. <laughs> um, um, okay, I said, not sure what she was expecting. Yeah. Louder this time. Uh-huh. Bow, mamow, you know, like the cat. Uh-huh. I thought about the thousands of cats I know, both real and fictional. <laughs> and I never thought she would bring up your show. From the Flophouse, she said. She uh-huh. was very excited to use a reference to something I liked. Yeah. Oh, I responded, uh, no, it's Rorau, but she was not deterred. <laughs> I told her I, like I would write this. <laughs> yeah. I told her I would write this email, and she hasn't stopped misquoting the beloved house cat ever since. There's no deep philosophical question here. I thought you guys might enjoy knowing there's some portion of the population that is acquainted with your podcast, even if they don't know the details. Thanks for keeping me sane in 2020, Trevor. Okay. What a delightful so story. So I think, I think there is a 50-50 chance they were either watching Blue Bloods or MasterChef Junior. <laughs> What do you guys like? Why are you? <laughs> I, I mean, are your, you, I, show your work are, on this. <laughs> are we betting on this? Are you asking us? Are we yes. supposed to take that action? I need to see Cat Elliot pull some money out. I need proof that you're actually good for it. <laughs> okay. Now, well, all right. Let's go roundtable. Uh, say what show we think that they're watching, and if any of us gets it right, uh, this letter writer must write in. So you're saying either Blue Bloods or what was Ma- the other one? Master Chef Junior, What's, obviously. Was there a cat on the show? I just got totally derailed by how he knows thousands of cats. <laughs> they did, well, I don't he think saw they the Brett Gelman show, so that's why. He... <laughs> yeah. Yep. That's a joke for only the people here. Um, I'm, sh- I'm, I'm sure there's somebody else who has been to the UCB theater at some point in the early 2000s who might have seen that, that yeah. show. I'm going to say they were watching um, The Repair Shop, which is a very comforting show on Netflix. Um Anyone I'm gonna s- I'm gonna say it was either Young Sheldon, mm-hmm. oh wow, uh, or Dark. Uh, <laughs> oh, they're wow. kind of the same show. Yep. <laughs> and Josh, do you have a guess here? I feel like they said he said watching TV, but I think on TV they were watching the movie Inside Lewis Davis. <laughs> <laughs> wow, there is a cat in it. All right, there's famous a, cat featuring film. There are a couple <laughs> yeah. of cats. Now um, I I'm just excited because this means we have reached that legendary status where people are regularly misquoting us and thinking that they're quoting us our show yeah, like yeah. it's that's our play it again sam you know mm-hmm. uh is mama is that cheers that's from cheers yeah when <laughs> the, the episode where he where he brought in his sousaphone uh, <laughs> and he just they were trying stop. to get him to return to baseball uh that like someday in the future someone's gonna go there's going to be some, you know, uh, BuzzFeed article that's like, Bao Mamao, here's what they were actually saying on the Flophouse. <laughs> yeah. It's a real Mandela effect. <laughs> yeah. Oh, let me, I was, followers of my Twitter account will know that I have a beef about this, which is that uh, I think it's real unfair that Nelson Mandela, a global hero of freedom, uh-huh. uh, that that his name got put on the effect that is basically just people being like, no, uh <laughs> right. Oh, the Mandela effect. Do you mean bringing liberation to a people, an oppressed people, uh, yeah. in a nation against all odds? No, 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 no. It's showing incredible resilience and endurance for decades until finally the moral arc of the universe bends towards justice. No, no, no. It's about thinking that it's Berenstein Bears. <laughs> yeah. So I, so I want to. I'm trying to create a movement so that the Mandela effect becomes the name for when you get superhuman strength to lift a car off of a child that's been uh-huh. pinned under it. Uh, let's see if it works out. Everybody, that's the Mandela effect now. 
Okay, well, and the other one is the Babalu Mandel effect. Mm-hmm. When you when you when you remember something <laughs> wrong, that's now named after screenwriter Babalu Mandel, uh, writer of Gung Ho among other movies. Who who's the other member of that team? G- Lil Gans. Gans. Yes. Yeah, okay. McGans and Mandel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. F- funniest <laughs> funniest names in comedy writing teams. As Lil as Gans it's been, I think, they, I think they got the jobs off the names. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Babalu Mandel packet. sounds like a uh, something that Dennis Miller would have said a lot in the <laughs> in the eighties. Yeah, yeah. This guy makes Lowell Gantz look like Babalu Mandel, baby. <laughs> oh, that's pretty good. And some, someone's like Dennis. They work together. They're not that different. Oh, uh. <laughs> uh, so this uh, next and final letter is from Heather, last name withheld, uh-huh. and Heather writes. How do you all have such nice teeth? Are they natural? Thanks, Heather. <laughs> uh, I will. I will start. I can only answer for myself. I had braces uh, for many answer years. Answer for as a me, child. Dan. I probably didn't uh, wear my retainer as much as I should, so they're drifting a little back, crooked as I age. But uh, that, that's my story. What about you guys? Uh, my story is very exciting and different. I also had braces, mm-hmm. and my teeth are also drifting back, and. On my bottom jaw, one of the teeth, it's drifting, but you can only feel it from the back. If you look from the front, I don't think you can tell. So that's a little secret I have is that my tongue <laughs> is constantly caressing the place where two of my teeth overlap. Pretty mm-hmm. erotic, huh? Uh-huh. <laughs> Stuart? Oh, I thought Josh was going to talk about my teeth, but well, I guess I I'll could. fucking do it. I mean, like, we're you, saving I mean, it. We're saving that for our podcast, Stuart's teeth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's where I go through my collection of antique teeth. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I also had braces, but interestingly, I didn't have braces until I was like 18. I had to have corrective surgery because I developed an underbite late in life. Uh, Late in life, as in like when I was 17. You've been dead yeah. for a couple oh. decades, right? Yeah, yeah. That's that's late in life in medieval times, sure. Yeah. You had you had yeah you My had jaw restaurant? surgery. Uh, I did. So I had, I had I had corrective jaw surgery where they they put me under and they like peeled my lips back and then they had to cut my Ooh. lower jaw and push it backwards and cut my upper jaw and pull it out a little bit. And that's why when you look at me, you're like, why does he look like a perfect specimen of a human? Well, it's because Mm -hmm. it's all, it's created by science. It's not, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, would you recommend this procedure, Stuart? (laughs) I mean, look at the results. He's super handsome. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think they speak for themselves. Although I do remember waking up from that surgery and immediately vomiting a mixture of the pizza I'd eaten the day before and blood. So I don't recommend that part. Like a vampire ninja turtle. (laughs) Yeah. I'll tell you what, this listener got more than they bargained for with their question. Stuart, you reminded me of a surgery I had forgotten about where my teeth were not coming my my teeth were not coming in fast enough for my orthodontist liking. So they pulled two of my teeth, yeah. cut open the gums and put brackets on teeth that had not oh. come out yet, and they slowly pulled those Gross. teeth down with with little chains oh, like God. over time. Gross. Horrible. I love I yeah. love the idea that this is the type of question that somebody's used to asking yeah. at parties and is like Super bummed that it turned into a long conversation. <laughs> Jordan, go back and put a content warning in for tooth violence, please. Yeah. Um, um, Josh, you also have great teeth. Thank you. I feel like my teeth are fine. Here's this is my dental secret. Uh, when I was like a tween, my, I had a couple teeth 
that just didn't i have like two fewer teeth than i should uh-huh. uh oh. not to brag <laughs> and, <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> Did it, <laughs> i'm not gonna and make so that they were like look there's a little extra space in your mouth we could give you braces but that's the whole thing or we could shave down your two fang-like teeth next to your front teeth <laughs> so that they'll they'll just be a little stumpy but you the, <laughs> but we won't have to like put the whole thing in to line them up and and my parents and i were like yeah, do the weird thing that no one's ever done. <laughs> and so I'm not very self-conscious, but whenever I think about my teeth, I remember that the two teeth next to my front teeth are just, just short little guys. <laughs> They're like little sidekick teeth. <laughs> okay. Uh, so there you go. Um, some of you are horrified. Some of you are yeah, aroused. I, lo- I love that. That some people listen to our show as they're going to sleep, and this will certainly affect their dreams. <laughs> uh, let me, let, you know what? Let me cute this up with some cute teeth talk. Uh, my mm-hmm. older son Sammy, he has lost both of his front two teeth, so he's got a super classic, adorable kid face. Uh, but with the second tooth, we put under his pillow, uh, and he wrote a letter to the tooth fairy asking if this tooth fairy was the same tooth fairy that took his last tooth. And the letter he got in response explained that it's the same tooth fairy because this is the tooth fairy that handles California, and there are different tooth fairies for every state and major city and he was and country, and he was very excited about learning that. So uh, <laughs> there's a network of tooth fairies out there all working regionally. Let's support them as best we can in these hard times. Yeah. The New Jersey Tooth Fairy, Michael Imperioli. <laughs> <laughs> he'll sometimes come when the teeth aren't ready to come out yeah. yet, and he'll just yeah, stick his hand right. in a kid's mouth and be like, come on, wiggle it out, buddy. Come on, get it out of there. They're coming out sometime. Um, okay, and then he, well, he takes a big roll of bills out of his pocket, not in a wallet, and just peels off two ones and throws them onto the bed and walks out. Uh Let's do the final segment of the show, which is recommendations. Um, uh-huh. If you want something m- maybe a little better better than uh, than Primal, uh, is that possible? <laughs> who, who knows? Well, let's let's see. I, in honor of Cagemas, uh, fortunately, I actually watched a Nicolas Cage movie that I had not seen before. I'm surprised that I hadn't seen it before. It took me a very long time, but I watched Valley Girl, which I oh. enjoyed quite a bit. Um, it was like you, you know, like. I grew up with these these '80s teen comedies, and so it was nice to find one that I like I hadn't seen before that I could enjoy. That also was like <laughs> had had like a very minimal like objectionable <laughs> amount of stuff. It like there's nothing in it that upset me. I mean, Nick Nick Cage gets a little stalkery at the end, but uh, other than that, it's. It's that movie has movie. my number one hamburger bite I've ever seen in a movie. Oh, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> it's also ranked next to my favorite snakes, if you're wondering. It's in my journal. Uh, it's number one behind two other hamburger bites from other movies. Yeah, number uh, three never is a snake biting a hamburger. <laughs> if only a snake bit a Bushmaster biting into a hamburger. Why haven't we seen that in movies oh, yet? Oh, my God. That's going to be my next tattoo. <laughs> You know, the, you know the Lumiere brothers were like, this is why we created this medium, to see a snake bite into a hamburger. And it just hasn't happened yet. So yeah. this movie is from 1983. Uh, a lot of people probably know about it already, so I won't go too much into it. But it's a, it was made to capitalize on the brief uh, cultural fascination with the idea of the Valley Girl, which came out of, uh, in some part, the Frank Zappa, Moon Unit Zappa song Valley Girl, which is really like sort of shitty and snide about Valley Girls in a way that the movie is not at all. Um, it's directed by Martha Coolidge, and I think it's one of these cases where 
having a woman director uh, do this movie that that focuses in large part on this uh, young girl allows her to be a little more complex than otherwise would be the case. Uh, otherwise, they could just be making fun of this. But it's a it's a Romeo and Juliet tale. A valley girl uh, falls for a a punk from not in the valley, played by Nicolas Cage. And uh, two things I want to say about it is like number one. I think movies get punks wrong a lot of the time. Like, I feel like in movies, they're just shown as these forces of aggression. And, you know, the punks that I knew from college, I feel like a lot of them used this aggressive stance to cover up for a lot of sensitivity. This is like their way of kind of dealing with the world. And, and Nicolas Cage felt like one of these people I could have known. And I also want to say that, you know, just at the beginning of his career, sometimes you forget what a dreamboat this guy was. Like, you look at him in this movie, he's got beautiful eyes. And you can see how, like, there's no way this uh, young woman would not fall for this guy. Like, he is, he just wants to be with her. He's so sweet. Um, And it's just a really, like, sweet movie that you know that these kids aren't going to stay together you know this is a high school romance but it's a movie that is as much about i think the lead becoming a better person and learning what it is to you know strike out and make your own path as it is about the romance so i i I was touched by it it's a lot of fun i'm gonna um go go on the similar theme of good nicholas cage movies from the 80s uh and this is one that maybe a lot of people have seen it escaped my viewing I, i was trying for years but it kept escaping <laughs> um, <laughs> every time you thought you'd catch it, it you'd go to the snare oh. and it would be empty with just like a, some drops of blood where it chewed its way out a and taunting like, oh, note um, <laughs> uh, Mr. Gondelman you should have caught me I gave you all the clues <laughs> and some such um, but Moonstruck which like yes. a, yeah, a classic a that I've missed out on my early this year my wife had been like, oh, let's watch Moonstruck. Like, we, we, we had a night stuff to watch a movie. She was like, how about Moonstruck? And I said, sure. I didn't know anything about it. The only thing I knew is it's either the one where Nicolas Cage eats the bug or it's not. And, folks, it's not. <laughs> um, Cher and Nicolas Cage play people living in, a, um, uh, like, Bay Ridge, Brooklyn in the 80s. very Italian neighborhood. Uh, Cher's fiance, Cher gets engaged. Her fiancé leaves to go see his grandmother i think in italy and he's he tasks her with inviting his estranged brother nicholas cage to their wedding and when she does he is uh unreasonable and uh sexually magnetic and it's like you said like i felt like i did some bagging on nicholas cage for being you know older middle slightly older than middle-aged and like a little uh disheveled and primal but this is nicholas cage where you're like Oh, this guy gets after it. He mm-hmm. he really he really brings it in the sack. And <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. like kind of the central theme of the movie is Nicolas yeah. Cage is so good at sex, he'll uh he'll change your life. Yeah. The whole course of your life. <laughs> yeah, you're like, that's what a white tank top is supposed to look like on a person. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that movie's so much fun. I saw it for the first time as well during quarantine, and which is still going on, obviously. Um, and uh, my, it's it had been one of my wife's favorite movies, so we got to watch it together. And it was like the moment when it clicked that it's basically like 
like a Shakespearean comedy, but mm-hmm. set in Brooklyn. Uh, was, yeah. That's when I was like, oh, I get this movie and I like it a lot. Yeah. His, I, and his the scene that introduces him is like, I think about it all the time now. Yeah. The the scene where, where she comes to his bakery or the bakery where he works to invite him to the wedding. And he's just like, it's it's big cage, but it also is big cage in a way that like is within the scope of like what he's supposed to do in this movie. Yeah, it's great. I I also want to just give a a little behind the scenes. Uh, you know, we're using uh, Skype for this call. God knows why, because many better uh, ver- things exist now. But with the Skype reactions, Dan, Dan, it's inertia. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Skype reactions, uh, when I said Valley Girl and when Josh said uh, Moonstruck, both times Stuart did the heart reaction. <laughs> I was like, oh, quick, I got to show him how much I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Without interrupting. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to uh, I'm gonna break the chain, uh, and I'm going to recommend a new movie that does not feature Nicolas Cage. Uh, I'm going to recommend a movie called uh, Sound of Metal. It's on Amazon Prime right now. It's about a young uh punk rock drummer played by riz ahmed who uh starts to lose his hearing and he has to figure out a way uh to uh kind of live a life uh as a deaf person um and this is a character that as we get to know him we realize that that being a drummer and that sort of thing had also been kind of a way for him to run away from other past issues uh, and it's a fairly straightforward drama, but it's shot beautifully, and it has a couple of very amazing uh, performances, including from uh, Riz Ahmed, uh, who just looks, oh man, like a whole dang meal, this guy. Uh, and the uh, also, I want to mention that my buddy Harry did some of the drum work for it, uh, so I get to continue the recent trend of Stuart uh, name-dropping people involved in movies that he likes. <laughs> he did it! Good job. Thank you. Thank you. Name dropped. Sound Clang <laughs> as the sound of the name dropping. I'm going to mention, I'm also not going to recommend a Nicolas Cage movie, but because it's Cage Miss, I'm recommending a movie that partly takes place at Christmas. So that's mm-hmm. a connection, I guess. Uh, this is, I'm going to recommend the movie The Silent Partner uh, from 1978, oh. starring Elliot Gould, Christopher Plummer, and Susanna York, which is a, uh, I don't want to talk too much about the plot because it's, Twisty and turny, but essentially, Elliot Gould is a uh, is a mild mannered bank teller who decides he's going to take advantage of the fact that he suspects that a man played by Christopher Plummer is planning to rob the bank to actually kind of pre rob the bank and gets involved in uh, you know vengeance and uh, and twisty turns and things like that. And it's really good. It is even though it is listed as a comedy in some places, it is wow. not a comedy. It is it is a very uh like it's this it's a thriller that is both super smart and very well made and also kind of sleazy in a in an enjoyable way. There's like it's it's a pretty respectable sleazy thriller that has two scenes that are gruesome. There's two there's two um violent scenes that uh where women are the targets that i'll warn you about one of which enters into like giallo territory for a moment yeah. uh but christopher Plummer is super scary in it and elliot gould is very good in it as a kind of not bumbling guy but a believably like guy who got himself in too deep and uh it's you get to see beautiful canada in the late 70s uh and the all the uh interior house interiors and clothing uh implied by that 
and features a performance by an actress named uh, Celine Lomez, who I was not super familiar with, and she's great in it. And she plays a character who is uh, has more going on with her than it seems at first. But The Silent Partner, if you're interested in a uh, taut thriller that is, you know, just that a great slice of 70s movies, you could do worse than that. I'd recommend it. Yeah, I appreciate, like, that is, like, a mean movie in a lot of yeah. ways, which is what I, I mean, if it's a comedy, it's a comedy in the sense, like a very, very dry sense in the way that people who love thrillers, I think will sort of chuckle at how like at mean things that happen to people. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah. I, would, I would not, but it is a, it's a thriller. And like, I watched it being like, Oh, I've heard of this movie before, but I don't really know much about it. And it's listed as like a comedy thriller. And like almost instantly I'm like, this is not a funny movie. Like this is great, <laughs> but this is not a funny movie. Yeah. Even though John Candy is in it in a small role, not being funny. Uh, it's a impossible. It's a, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's got candy in his name, for God's sakes. <laughs> he does have candy in his name. He and, is uh, delicious in this movie. <laughs> and and Christopher Plummer manages to be like ge- just every time he's on screen, genuinely like you know frightening and eerie, and eerie in a way that I did not expect. Do you think so. when they made the Super Mario Brothers movie, uh, Christopher Plummer was mad that he didn't get hired to play Mario because he's like, I'm a plumber. It's in my name. You know he sent his tape in and yeah. was like, yeah. I should have worn a mustache when I did the audition. That was my problem. Hey, shouldn't I wear a mustache on my tape? So You know, uh, 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 Elliot, you were just like sort of gesturing at a Christopher Plummer voice, but I could at the same time hear it. I really I think oh, you thanks. captured something there. Thank you. I appreciate that. There's one, there's one moment in this movie, I'll just tell you how it got at me particularly, where – uh, Christopher Plummer knows where Elliot Gould lives, and he is—he's always calling him from a payphone outside that he can see him from. And Christopher Plummer comes up into the hallway and starts talking to him through the mail slot. And yeah. it is was so frightening to me the idea that it's like, oh, there's just a door between these two guys, and they're looking at each other through this mail slot. And it's like a. It just it's like uh, tapped into the same thing that is like when you have a dream where you're going to the bathroom, but someone can see you going to the bathroom, like that kind of fear of exposure. The ultimate you know? fantasy, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, not for me, but uh, so anyway, there was, but it's just there are little things like that that are like super creepy. And then the movie gets, uh, yeah, very brutal. So that's my recommendation. Cool. Well, guys, Josh, it's been a like such a pleasure to have you on. Uh, yeah. Is there a thing or multiple things you would like mm-hmm. to plug? Oh, thank you. Sure. Um, and this has been such a pleasure for me. I'm such a fan of the show, and I, I really enjoyed hanging out and talking about Nick Cage. Um, <laughs> I have a podcast called Make My Day. It's a comedy game show where there's only one contestant or two contestants playing as a team so the contestants always win um it's great i have a book called nice try that's an essay collection that's that i'm very proud of and still exists um and uh <laughs> Jesus and marrow comes back on january 31st for season three and i'm very excited and i think it's a fun show that people might like if they haven't tried it yeah it was a big it was a big uh it was a big part of my quarantine was uh watching their current episodes and then catching up with some of the old ones they're so funny so and i fun. say that like I'm I'm very proud of the show and like the work we that like that we do on it. Obviously, that the whole team does, but also it's just like watching the tapings because they're so spontaneous. Yeah. I laugh a lot. Just like, well, I wouldn't have come up with that, which is like <laughs> yeah. a very funny way to feel about a show that you write for. Yeah. <laughs> I was I was doing a show that for uh, that never ended up going into production for. Uh, True TV, and they were like, "We yeah, we really want the host to have like a real Jesus and Mero vibe. Like, you yeah. want it to be like Jesus and Mero." And I'm like, yeah. you, "You're not going to. Like, it's not yeah. going to happen. Like, those two guys have that. 
Yeah, like that's yeah. It. yeah. You you we want you to give us the dictionary definition of charisma, basically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you mean two guys who seem like who have like incredible synergy, incredible charisma, incredible chemistry, and have their their list of references includes everything that's ever happened. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, guys. Well, um, yes, again, thank you, Josh, for being here. Thank you to Jordan Cowling for making us sound good uh, by doing editing and sound stuff and all sorts of things <laughs> I don't understand. If you listen to the podcast when I did it, you can you can hear the, the improvement. <laughs> um, thank you to our network, Maximum Fun. Please uh, rate us on iTunes. Uh, well, I hope. Let people know about the show. Uh, check out the other great podcasts at MaximumFun.org. And I think that's it. Thank you so much. Another cage miss in the books. I've been Dan McCoy. I've been Stuart Wellington. I'm still Elliot Kalen. Oh, I was. I'm been Josh Gondelman. I didn't. I didn't want to intrude. <laughs> this is something we have, we continually forget to tell our guests that they should say their yeah, names to at the yeah. end. This happens was, a lot. I, was I just like it this way. Out. I was just thinking, I'm like, oh, did we figure it out? Like, that seemed like a pretty smooth ending. Did we figure it out? And then it turns out we didn't. We nailed it. <laughs> no, this we, is we my were, fault, not yours. <laughs> we, we, were, we were walking out of the house, and we said, didn't trip over our own dicks this time. And then suddenly, what was in our path? Our own dicks. <laughs> and I tripped over them. <laughs> <laughs> See you next time. Bye. I'm not an accent guy. I think we've covered that in the show. I'm more of a, you know, like a hype man type character. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. For Castle Freight. Yep. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.